Welcome. This uh, podcast was originally recorded in June of 2018, six months after my uh, first hip replacement, um, and a few months after both of our guests, Andy Dore and uh, Brian Harder, had uh, blown their ACLs. Uh, and, uh, you know, each of them had a, a slightly different journey. Um, uh, through the recovery process, and they shed light on that. Uh, both of you know, all of us are adults, older, so we don't heal as quickly as we used to. And uh, I think it can be kind of depressing in some ways to be um, forced into idleness um, by an injury. Uh, and you know, maybe we lose a little bit of the fire that we would have applied to our recovery uh, as younger individuals um, as, you know, as we do age. Um, so this is an interesting sort of uh, look into um, injury, recovery, and the aging athlete. And we're going to repost it right now in light of, uh, you know, my second hip replacement, which happened uh, a few months ago, early 2022. And uh, sort of what led up to that, which was, you know, it had been going along just fine. I had a single day of overreaching, um, hiking up a few thousand vertical feet and, um, you know, several thousand back down. And that uh, scraped away the last of the cartilage um, uh, between the head of my femur and the um, cup, if you will, a socket in the ball and socket joint of the hip. And uh, as soon as my surgeon saw the x-rays, he said, hey, we need to take care of this right away. Can, can you do it in two weeks? Uh, if not, can you do it in four days? Um, and we agreed I'd, that was meant to happen in uh, late October. Uh, but I Popped a hot COVID test uh, the day before uh, surgery had been scheduled, and that triggered a seven-week moratorium on the surgery, uh, which is imposed by the local hospital system in Salt Lake City. So uh, I got basically got kicked out um, of that and realized, you know, based on the fact that uh, had I'm going to have to have my uh, my left ankle finally fixed. Um, and I wanted to have both surgeries done in a single gear so I could uh, take advantage of the maximum out-of-pocket expenditure associated with my individual insurance plan. So we bumped everything into 2022, and uh, so which meant I basically had to to wait through, um, you know, October, November, December, um, while the uh, insurance calendar reset and the hospital. Um, you know, reset or changed its policy on that moratorium. I begged them the second time not to do a PCR test, which, you know, is replete with false positives. Um, and they said, well, you know, you had a positive once and now you're fine and you're back in and you can go ahead and take, take care of this, uh, this time. So that hip surgery, the second replacement actually went really well. I recovered much faster than the original. I mean, it was off pain meds within four or five days. Um, and walking with full weight, uh, within about two and a half weeks, 
um, been riding the bike, recovering some fitness. And uh, so when I revisited this particular conversation uh, where Brian Harder, who uh, is a physician assistant and has, you know, overseen, worked with quite a lot of hip and knee replacements. He has some pretty good insight into the uh, the process um, and the recovery. And so I thought, you know, this might be a good time to uh, repost this podcast, which was recorded back, you know, let's, we're going to say four years ago, also back when the podcast had a different name. So some people may not have heard it or they're, um, they're, maybe they're new to the podcast and haven't yet, uh, dug into the history. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to send, (laughs) Uh, the original podcast complete with, uh, the original name of the podcast, the original title, and I hope you enjoy. If I start murdering people, typically I'm left. And when I get nervous, I walk, and usually I speak too quickly. So if you don't understand anything, just keep it to yourself and pretend you didn't. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that, because the person who wrote that is dangerous. All right, good afternoon. Welcome to uh, another conversation in the Dissect Podcast Studio. I am Mark here today with Michael. Brian Harder has joined us from Anchorage, Alaska. This is not a Skype call, and he's actually sitting here. Indeed. <laughs> Glad to be here. <clears throat> and uh, also joining us today is a- Andy Dore, um, who actually I don't think has ever sat in a podcast studio before. First timer. First time. <laughs> and, uh, Short and, time fan. And yeah. Short time listener. So we got a, um, let's see, I'd, I'd say three endurance athletes in the room and, and Michael. <laughs> wait, wait, hashtag former endurance athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag <laughs> athlete of all trades. Yeah. 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 He can deadlift more than all of us. Hashtag <laughs> fat gymnastics is usually how I <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, both uh, Brian and Andy are um, in the medical profession. And one of the things that Brian and I had sort of discussed having a conversation about it was actually Brian's idea was um, I, I didn't think it would be as general as the aging athlete. Um, because, uh, what it really, what it started out was, uh, originally was the idea of, um, you know, th- that the mileage is going to catch up sooner or later and we will all be dealing with some kind of, you know, medic, uh, orth- orthopedic or soft tissue issues eventually based on, let's say loss of elasticity, um, or stupidity, you know, just or stupidity, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or just accumulated mileage and, um, so let's see. Right now, everybody in the room has has some experience with injury and <laughs> having and and being unable to do what you know our our brains feel it quite necessary to do due to that injury and through the recovery process. And so I, and so I think it's a it's a topic worth worth speaking about. That also you know um, I mean I could tally it up, but the most for me the most recent thing is a a full hip replacement. I think that's a there's probably some term for that, but I, I, I just uh, think to, this, yeah. this full subject, hip replacement is, to, is total, the term total hip total. Uh, okay, as we'd say yeah. I, I just think this subject. A, I'm really um, curious just because of the people in the room, because usually you only hear about this subject of recovering from injury or longevity or something. You you hear it from people who are generally fucking lazy, and it, there's a different subject that comes up to people who are very interested in pushing whatever potential boundaries they have physically. 
and also trying to balance that with also wanting to be mobile in their 60s and 70s or whatever you want to explain that. that that's what I'm curious about because there's a lot of people spout now about like, yeah, here's how you have longevity, but all those people are just taking TRT and they're, they're just like ride a paddleboard for 30 minutes and that's health or, you know, <laughs> whatever, the beet juice extract. And now I think that there is a conversation. I'm, but I'm telling you, beet juice... <laughs> Combined with <laughs> with a sup, man, you are in the zone. <laughs> You'll be tan. Well, depending on where you're supping and but. pissing and pissing something that looks like blood. So right. you'll think that you're training hard. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the beats. It's, 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 it's not rhabdo. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> there is no rhabdo in supping. This is how this is how I trick my friends into thinking I train hard. I just eat a bunch of beets, and then I'm like, no. dude, I think I got rhabdo from my check it out paddleboarding exercise. <laughs> wait, wait, a, wait a second, Brian. You just you just threw that gauntlet. I can't believe like that's kind of irresponsible, because now someone's going to go out on a stand up paddleboard and try. Yep, to prove you wrong. And like de- I got decelerate so much. I actually <laughs> that you get you get rhabdo from supping. So th- I I might be. I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to attempt to get rhabdo from paddleboarding because we set up kind of an adventure that we're going to go on. And maybe that's why it's in the back of my head because I'm like, man, I haven't paddleboarded for a long time. Well, we're going to be doing it for six days straight. That might. Wait, what? What is this? So we're going to try to paddleboard from the bottom of Lake Mead to Lake Havasu. Towing your camp? Yeah. uh, No support. Just unsupported. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to try to do. This sounds like something that came up um, at a time when good decisions had left the room. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I approve of this stand-up recording. So so we looked at a map, so we think we're good. Yeah, we looked like that. We looked at Google Maps, and we think we can do it. (laughs) It's it's a three-hour drive. We figure it's a three-day to four-day paddleboard. That's Mm -hmm. my logic. I have no idea how fast we can travel on this. And how, I, how, how far is it? Current <clears throat> flowing? I don't know the distance. Oh, well, that, that would be <laughs> a good there, thing But there know. is current. It's not rough. Like, it's definitely not rough water. Right. Uh, there might be some sections that give us hell. Well, there, there could be there, wind. There, I was going to say, there could be wind, and, and you standing on top of a stand-up paddleboard <laughs> yeah. looks like suspiciously sail. like a sail. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I'll just <laughs> turn the right way. way. it's blowing. Yeah. <laughs> But we will that's, bring, a, that's when the that's when the eccentric part of it's going to come in. You're going to get rhabdo. Yeah, you're getting blown backwards. <laughs> you're trying just, to resist. Yeah. Just pull off and camp. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like uh, that's so. That's what. So you would stay sort of relatively close to like I don't even know what the strategy would be. I don't know either because I've never done anything like this, and that's what I was curious about. Is like how would I? Uh, well, I'm thinking like how are we going to get water? Okay, there's this filter, life straw, whatever. Like yeah, gross. It's, drinking at a fucking Colorado River, whatever Las it is. Las Vegas's toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, okay, you know, like the dog has to come with. He loves paddleboarding, but I got to bring him food and whatever. Yeah, it gets complex fairly quickly. I'm, I'm an endurance athlete. No, yeah, I, I, no you, uh, you, and, and should you accomplish this? <laughs> Have um, you done much camping, like backpacking, anything like that? Yeah, uh, I'm fairly, fairly conversant yeah i could i could i know my way around at least bare minimum living i would call it yeah um and that's that's a hard stuff to i don't know coming i don't know how we totally other than paddleboarding thing but to me like i want to go back to that road because we've been a little bit too comfortable all the all the competition stuff that we've done it's like how do you you know luxurious hotel so you don't have to worry and you're close to all this stuff and i kind of want to remove that and do efforts 
kind of a little bit closer to nature. Mm-hmm. Not like in the fucking mountains because I don't want to <laughs> be cold. And also like not in the like swamp because that's gross. Like I'm I'm still being very middle class about this. But Well, yeah. <laughs> but, no, and I will shop at REI for all my shit. And I'm going to wear neutral colors. I've got like a great looking you, pair of keen shoes or whatever. <laughs> are you going to have those pants that turn into shorts? <laughs> Cargo pants and no, slash zipper. I don't think so. Um, I did. You can get those in, a, in an extremely fast drying nylon. I've heard. Don't <laughs> vomit immediately. But I did consider wearing those Vibram's five finger shoes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, that's perfect because they were designed for kayaking, and I figure. Fuck, that's actually what they're for. I thought they actually. were designed for minimalist running. No, that's like the only use yeah. they yeah. may have is to. They're great. Yeah, slip off of your paddleboard. No, yep. the, the one confirmed actual use is <laughs> repelling the opposite sex. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> vaginas yeah. dry up and go away immediately. <laughs> Here, can I? Uh, so that's one wormhole. Let me let me go down. <laughs> let me go down another one very briefly. Okay, this is my favorite five finger story. So. <laughs> <laughs> I when I got back into running sometime in Jackson mid two thousands, I happened to read Born to Run, which wasn't a different way to run for me, mm-hmm. and and I think it really did change my affection for running, and I actually liked it yeah. for once. And so, how I, long did that last? Uh, and, until we ran around. Day. Until okay. Brian and I yeah. went for a run around. Uh, no, I still liked it. I needed a Vicodin to finish it, but I still liked it. <laughs> but anyway, wait, so wait, I'm... Wait, you needed some Vicodin to finish a run? Well, that's another story. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so anyway... Part of the epidemic, man. <laughs> I've taken more Vicodin in athletic events than I have uh, for Sorry. post-operative stuff. <laughs> Neither, neither of which is very much. <laughs> Hashtag tramadol. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Some professional anyway. cyclist turned me on to that. Now, yeah, I, yeah. So anyway, let me finish this story. It's very short. So part of that whole deal was these five-finger shoes, minimalist shoes. So I yeah. thought, well, I'm going to jump in. And I, I got a pair. And I had two pairs. I had the leather ones, which were thicker. And right. I actually ran up Granite Canyon to the top of the tram, 13 miles. Nice. And I thought I'd been caned in the bottom of my feet by the time I yes. got up there. It was so stupid. But yeah. Right, so off, the, right that, off the couch, that was my first run in them. Or maybe ow, second. But more oh, interestingly, ouch. your toes are exposed in these things, okay? Yeah. I'm walking around the whole grocer, the, the grocery store yeah. in Jackson, and I kick a little cart or something. And I'm like, oh, that hurt. And I look down, and my pinky toe is totally sideways. Dislocated my pinky toe. Cut oh, <laughs> to the side. I'm like... Oh, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> like clap I, and just snapped it back into place. So I have and I was a, like that's and people run in you know the woods with these things. And, sure. And oh yeah. Talus slopes and stuff is stupid. Oh that yeah. There's definitely ultra. <laughs> like I think somebody did um, that Moab two fifty whatever in in Vibrams, yeah. which is like cool. Okay, I, I have nothing. To, that's stout. I don't have anything against it. I think you're, you're highly adaptable with that area. I, I do have an SF buddy that was fond of them when they first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked me into getting in a pair, and then I would never wear them because they're terrible looking. Yeah. And so, but he would wear them, and we were messing around one day. The vanity muscle is especially strong. strong. Yeah. It is. <laughs> like, I mean, it for sure. Like, no matter how functional they are, I, just, I can't. It's the same with the Hoka's. Like, I'm sorry, but 
I don't need to look like I lick windows. I think that's super (laughs) politically incorrect, but we're going to leave it there. He tried. We we would also do. He's a very like physical person. Like he double gainer off of anything kind of deal. Like skier, uh, you know, very strong, like 500 pound deadlift, that kind of stuff. Well, he tried to, he was jumping ahead of me and we were just walking and he was wearing these Vibram shoes and he like did a heel click, like a jump heel click. Like he was going to like show me how cool he was. Mm -hmm. And he hit the edge of this corner and it shattered his foot. (laughs) (laughs) It completely demolished his foot to the point where he had to cancel a whole bunch of selections for the next six months because he just did a stupid little thing in these finger shoes and he totally fucked his foot up. I think it was broken in nine places. Mm. And I was like, Ow! I, uh, I'm never wearing those. Wouldn't have happened in a pair of in no, shoes. normal nope. shoes. It probably would yeah. not have happened. Well, for sure, he wouldn't have been showing them off with a heel <laughs> click of some kind either. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I got these shoes. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Vanity you know, can save your feet. Yeah, apparently. Nah. Oof. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I'll go into so the the the. Th- Thing, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, uh, and actually, Andy, you, you know, sort of briefly mentioned it to just in, in passing when we were out riding today, it, talking about the psychological aspect of recovery from injury and how, and, and to me, like I've had three knee surgeries, shoulder reconstruction, blah, 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 and none of those times coming back from that event were, had any perceivable psychological component, like there was no resistance to it. And for some reason, either it's, it's age or the, what I consider to be sort of an excessive violation of my body, um, <clears throat> something got put in my head. And it, was, it has been really tough to not, I mean, not necessarily you know, rehab, but to come back to fitness. Mm-hmm. Because the lack of belief this unconscious nagging lack of belief in the integrity of my own body or my own actual physical, you know, there's days where I'm just like, well, maybe I am done. And, you know, and, and when I first started getting on the bike, it's like the quit, don't quit discussion happened in the bedroom, you know, like I'm trying to, you know, put my kit on to go downstairs and get the bike. And then I, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Don't quit. All right. Get downstairs, get the bike. I got to go outside now. Fuck, quit, don't quit. Okay, don't quit, man. And and through the process, I mean, there were things where I'd be like riding up as benign as fucking City Creek. Like not even going to be a long ride today. And halfway up, just thinking like, I just feel really shitty and I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I want and normally I would feel really shitty and I'm like, fuck, I got here. All right. I feel yeah, yeah. Well, That's I, an I, interesting, I, that's an unfortunate place to be. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. And now, <laughs> now that, that, that argument is, you know, I've kicked that can further and further down the road and we were out, I mean, I was whatever, it was almost three hours ride time today or something like that. And, and, um, and, and, and having had a couple of, you know, the biggest breakthrough came, well, there was the two hour ride that you suggested. Oh. How long, what's the longest you've ridden? Uh, 115 minutes. We should do two hours. I'm like, ah, that sounds odd. That sounds great. Yeah. It's a likely progression. Okay. Cause it went Only from a 40% increase. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then another sort of breakthrough, um, a, a stupid, not like a, an enabler that, you know, <laughs> type of breakthrough, but a personal stupidity sort of breakthrough that, um, and, and 
now that quit don't quit argument is it's not a i mean it's still there but like there's a there but it was an um an incipient i mean just this thing that was go away fucker yeah and and that's and this is so this is and that's the first time i've had it but i've um and i'd be interested to talk to some other people who are I mean, part of it, I think, is like falling off the fitness bus at a certain age. Mm. It pulls away fast. <laughs> it's at, really, you know, it's hard to chase down. And at else, any age. It, okay. I mean, uh, it, uh, some people are, are better responders to exercise in general. Like they have a higher, a lower baseline and you, you train and you, you make bigger and you gains. Make bigger gains, right. And, and sure. others right, are, are pretty damn fit no matter what they do you yeah. know, off the couch without fitness. doing anything yeah. but it's funny you're talking about that and I think even in times of health or with full power we have um, sort of like this unconscious governor that if we say okay today I'm going to go on a 100 mile ride or I'm going to go run mm-hmm. 20 miles up this or whatever it doesn't begin to affect us we don't start to question ourselves until we're 75% of the way through. Yeah, like close, the, close to the declared objective. Right. Or, or, or at some or, point in the middle, it yeah. gets hard. Um, like in a, say, a 100-mile ultra run. Yeah. Like the first 50 miles feel easy because your body already knows, hey, we signed up for 100. 100. Um, totally. And then when we're injured, I, I feel like you subconsciously perceive that your powers are limited. You can only go an hour. You're only prescribed an hour by your physical therapist. Yeah. And so, and on that, top of that, they don't tell you, like, it's unhealthy. They almost, like, give you the excuse that you want to hear. Right, right. They keep saying, because everybody in the room is going to do more than what they tell us to. Right. And so they say, okay, we this don't. Room. Right. This yeah. room. Yeah. yeah, this room. That's what I'm talking about. I was going to say, hashtag non compliant patient. Is that right. the. Yep. Yeah, that's. <laughs> right. Like, they're like, okay, you can, ride your bike shit. For, you can ride your bike for 30 minutes. 30 minute bike ride is nothing. Yeah. And so then when you start to go out and ride on your own, you've already got it in your mind, like, my body's not whole. I can't go for more than an hour. And that whole kind of subconscious governor is creating doubt so much earlier than so, if, you, if you had said, hey, I'm, I'm fit. I know I'm fit. I'm a strong guy. I'm going to go ride for four hours. And then you get yourself out the door and it's not until hour three where you're like, okay, I got to make myself go this last mm-hmm. hour. Yeah. So I, there was a, uh, an, an essay that I'd written a, a while ago about, you know, self-image and the relationship with performance and, um, and, 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 you know, establishing goals which then become anchors uh and and the idea i mean for me and 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 it's been you just echoed it right there was that you know if i do i go do a 2000 foot route by myself in the alps and i'm pretty tired at the top of 2000 feet of climbing but when i go do a 4000 foot route i'm not tired at 2000 feet Mm -hmm. because i've already established where you know in in a preconceived way of where the fatigue should begin to have an effect and, and and it's and it's really tough to sort of like oh I've, I I said I was going to and I can't remember the guy's name um, but as an endurance cyclist who basically said yeah if you decide you're going to go ride 200 miles well you're not going to get back home and then decide to go out for another 200 but you could decide to do 400 and would be okay yeah. I, on that vein because we, we've talked about this quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to do the math in my head for how this would equate, but I think there's a strategy that could actually help okay. with, with, with understanding how this whole works. Because I think you're right. You could tell somebody to run 200 miles and they would figure it out. Uh, but you would never, you would convince a fraction of people to run an extra 100 after having run 100. 
That, right. So it, what, what's the rub here is like, okay, we need to get somebody to run 200 miles easy. So we tell them that they need to run 300. And at 200 miles, we tell them they can be finished. And then in their head, it would be like, man, that wasn't really all that bad. Oh, that'd be an now interesting I can experiment. Run, now I can run yeah, 200 on the, miles. On the psychology of yep. effort. and Right. Yeah, and they, they'd be curious. It's, then 300 is now more tangible because they were prepared and willing to go there. But along the way, before they got too fatigued, you cut them and you said, hey, it's good. This and then they have nothing but positive feedback yeah. from yeah. that. Yeah. Because yeah. it was. Oh, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> pretty much every tough adventure we've gone on in the mountains, my brother and I, when we finish, we'll say, how much would you have to get paid to go do that same thing <laughs> again in your current state that you're feeling right now? And, you know, whatever it is, yeah. we feel wrecked at the end of it. Yeah. Like, mm. A lot. That amount of money has increased over time as it we've is, gone from poor students oh, to... Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're dead on on the 75% through. So me, uh, me Keegan, and uh, uh, Roger did a little hour-long effort the other day. Just an indoor one. We're just going to go an hour max calories on this air bike thing. And <laughs> on an air bike. We're switching off. Mm. You know, we do a one-minute effort every two minutes, which are fairly hard. Like, we're talking... On that air bike, it's like 680 watts for the minute. And then we switch out, and you got to do some other exercise in between. That's boring. What was interesting is I go, probably around 35 minutes, it's going to get real ugly um, because we bit off a, a hard pace, but we knew we could do When it. did you make that statement in your head? Five minutes in. <laughs> but right now- So I'm, you programmed it. Kind of. Not really. I just go, I'm, I'm used to- I mean, to, obviously it's an, realistic, but- Well, and, and I've done so many hour long efforts that I know around 40 minutes, it gets real ugly. I just thought- um, with the intensity being uh, just just given the weird pacing, because it wasn't like a, if I did an hour effort by myself, it gets bad at forty five minutes. Why I thought thirty five minutes is because I wasn't aware of what this up and down jig, like zigzag. The, co yeah. co the cost of that would be actually right, and I just not... go okay, that's going to cost me more because I'm tapping in physiologically to some different systems. It's going to feel like total hell. At 35 minutes, and maybe I did, it was just like, I do not want to do this anymore. How can I preserve myself? And then I knew <laughs> at the window at 50 minutes, we would all dig harder. Yeah. And I, my game plan was like, look, instead of digging harder, I'm just going to hold a steady pace as opposed to being that asshole that falls off and sees the window at the end of it and then is a, a hero. The JV kick. Yeah, they're like, yeah, <laughs> I sprinted the last 100 meters of an Ironman. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like. That that's stupid, a Andy. Did you just say the JV kick? Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, high school or college, <laughs> yeah. kinda, no. lower tier athletes, kind of like, kinda like what I finish. Yeah. They just don't just don't know how to pace yeah. an yeah, exactly. effort over a, a certain distance or time. Yeah, um, that I, I think that 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 time domain, understanding time domains in that, like the three quarter way, is always the worst sensation, especially the psychological model of that. And if you, no matter, it doesn't matter how well. You understand it. We talk about this quite often. Like you can, you can be the most uh, prolific sports psychologist and understand what is happening inside the brain at any given effort, and that does not declare that you can actually change your behavior or change those signals. And that's the funniest part to me. It's like you could be fucking Professor Tim Noakes, you're still going to shut down. Like yeah. <laughs> or Professor Brian Harder. Yeah, <laughs> we call him the professor. The professor. I thought it was Sergeant Fitness. That was, oh, that was a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> the sergeant. You, you know who will have some really interesting insight into this, and this is a recent event with uh, some friends of ours, Mark and Janelle Smiley. Oh, right. And they did that Traverse of the Alps, like 
full length, yeah. 42 days. And it's interesting. Uh, it was like 36. They'll, they'll argue on that one. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you, nice. you might have a few more de- details on it. But anyways, a long time yeah. and really bad weather. And massive distances every day. They're, yeah. they're going 15, 35 miles a day with 10 to 15,000 yeah. vert. All day efforts out for 12, 16 hours a day. Whoa. And it was just day after day after day. And they initially yeah. were pretty pessimistic, I think. And then somewhere right. along the way, there's like, we are way stronger than we thought and we're going to finish oh, this yeah. and yeah. we're feeling good. But the emotional roller coaster, Janelle particularly, because she was more open with how mm-hmm. awful it was at times. And then there was some group descent as well. <laughs> some really fast guys and then other people. Okay. And uh, they divided and then they came together. And oh, wow. there, it, was, it was not an ideal situation for mutual support in such a difficult task. And yet it ended up great. But boy, when they saw the finish line, it was over and they felt wonderful. But boy, getting there, there was some, I think there's some really dark moments. That, in the, sure, it was fun to follow along though. That mirrors. Yeah, no, it, was, um, it was awesome. James, uh, the Iron Cowboy guy, can't remember his James something. He's local. Yeah, they, 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 um, 50, 50 Ironmans in fifty states in fifty days. Yeah. Oh my god. And and what he his his <sighs> um kind of depiction of what happened was like man th- those first couple days were just so unbearable. I had no idea how we'd make it, and it, things got worse. He got you know on a daily basis there'd be some hypothermic stuff in the pool in whatever lake he was swimming to get the the swim for the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the logistics were probably the hardest like you the time cuts and where you had to be were just you had to do this and he had to do all of them in sub I think 16 hours to mm-hmm. to keep it with the Ironman theme. And then He's I'm thinking, start- okay, start in four corners. You get the first four out of the way like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with minimal. You could wow. stay in the same hotel every night, actually. Yeah. The Hawaii <laughs> one is where it gets tricky. <laughs> Are these actually organized events or is he no, just, no, he's, he's just, just making yeah, one up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just made his own thing. Yeah. But then he That's said like on, you know, when he was at his breaking point about 20 days in, uh, it started to get, he started to go faster. And that, just that positive feedback of seeing the faster times and not understanding why, because physiologically I should be fucking getting slower. Yeah. And he started getting faster and faster, and that would build, and it became easier and easier. And granted, not easy in that sense because he was dealing with the breakdown of tissue and oh, skin. Yeah. I was going to say, to do something like that and remain uninjured is yeah. remarkable. Foot care. Funny enough, he did CrossFit to prepare for it. I'm not joking. He's a special human. I, he did a lot of volume, but in his head, he started, he was like, what I'm going to do is really ballistic. I need to know how to handle ballistic activity. So he picked CrossFit. And I was like, I would probably have not done that, even being a fan of it myself. <laughs> I was just like, don't do that at all. But he... I, he, I, I don't see the... Uh, the translation? I, I mean, just I'm just no. I'm stalled on the definition of ballistic at the moment. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I, I think he's yeah. talking... I, I thought... <laughs> Running. I took it... Well, I talk it as impact, and I yeah. take it as joint yeah. stability and tissue you know, regeneration from very hard efforts or, or whatever he thought that would be. I don't know what that uh, correlation was. Or what that looked like. It was probably less than 2% of his volume in oh. reality. Um, but it is a fun, because that makes the headlines like, yeah, guy does CrossFit, does 50 Ironman. So like, I don't think that's how it looked, but okay. And Brian McKenzie has an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, See? That was because of the, the breathing technique he's into. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say something. Um, uh, th- those kind of things, like where, where you you think, and maybe uh, Killian Journey is another guy when he was, uh, I want to say it was across the Pyrenees, right? From the, 
Atlantic to the Mediterranean when he trans uh, and it was it was very it was like close to 100 miles a day for I don't know, two weeks or something. Well, there was was something on Corsica. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. he, he, he's got a biography that describes that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and his thing, too, was like, man, near the end, he started to get faster every day. And you're like, what, what in the hell? Like, well, I don't know what that is. And I would guarantee that the percentage that you talked about, the 75% thing, plays a role somewhere in there, mm -hmm. I think. I don't know what it is, but it is psychological because it can't be physiological. Like, damage is damage. But... Well, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, the central governor theory that I think Noakes has mm -hmm. talked about a lot. Yeah. Your mind subconsciously is receiving all of these signals of tissue damage mm -hmm. and all these different blood parameters and things and then is shutting you down. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of train that a little bit by exposing your body to some of those signals over time to where, okay, it's not going to shut you down at the first moment it senses it. Right. And that's kind of a little bit what cramping is. Sure. According to some of the newer, yeah, 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 I think that's yeah. what we think. Yeah, I, I think that's like, like inhibition yeah. at the neuromuscular junction, and, right? And so, man, I'm f I'm fighting a lot of that right now. Yeah, a lot of cramping. Like it is very strange to me, but Brian will rub you out. <laughs> I'm gonna. It's the. Is there a website for that? Is there a URL? Brian will rub you out. <laughs> Brian, I don't know. Let's see if we can I, buy that one. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's available. <laughs> Brian will rub you I, out. And I, and I see it as, as not just ever, because I can train for long periods of time. I think it is just a different sense. And I, I'm mixing um, some gym fitness stuff with some jujitsu. And just the expo like the time doing jujitsu is causing massive cramps at yeah. night. Well, yeah. What's yeah, what's novel? And I think that's what it comes down to. Is there right. something novel in your world? This is what Noakes would say. And you just, it has to become less novel. And once you train it, it goes away. So. It, it could be, for yeah. sure. I, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I like where all that stuff went there. Um, uh, Alex uh, Hutchinson. Yeah. His, yep. his book, Endure. Science. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the Endure book covers quite a bit of this perception. So like brain perception stuff. And they touched a little bit on um, it not just being a barometer for uh, physiological damage, but that's really hard for the brain to pick up. From, from what I understand. Like, it would be very hard for the brain to detect actual muscle damage or, uh, you know, it has hydration levels and feedback on that kind of stuff. But more or less, I think that's where the uh, computer training comes in, where they'll, like, fatigue the brain and then go run so you're not causing impact. You're fatiguing the brain in the same sense that it gets fatigued for that uh, feedback loop when you're running for long distances. So if I was going to run for two hours... That would be one way to train it, but the the stress on the muscles makes it so your frequent training can't happen. But if I were to use computer programming to fatigue the same region in the brain that's responsible for perceived exertion and then go for an hour run, I can have the same physiological effect because the brain is behind it. Wow. That's it, where it gets is weird. It, um, that's science fiction right there. That's is weird. There are, is it a region-specific part of the brain? Prefrontal cortex is what okay. I, from what I understand. Um, and what sorts of things does one like if yeah how do you, you know, train that compulsion like control well so the 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 like mon after an eight hour shift in the ER for example yeah. you know is is that fatiguing the brain enough to the to, monotony to, yes and that that's the one correlation because the guy when Alex even says he goes hey man this is like really boring and he's like exactly and he's like running is very boring which is why like the monotonous execution of a simple task takes more it just takes just enough brain effort to continue to do it hmm. and i think that's why cycling is so great because you get kind of a free pass there as in when when i go oh, i just like need to stop pedaling for a second <clears throat> you're coasting 
But on running, when you're like, I just need a little bit, you stop. And then it is very hard to continue. Yeah. There is no coasting. There's no, <laughs> there's no coasting. And downhill hurts worse when you're yeah. fatigued than yeah. than even going uphill. It's almost it's a polar. It's a different world. It's the upside down world or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Bizarro, bizarro endurance event. <laughs> well, speaking of bizarro endurance events, huh. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Actually, I was just gonna. You know. See if you wanted the conversation to go this way. I was actually gonna because we had talked about. Uh, well, let's see. I, I'm guessing all of us, and I'll even include Michael in this, has in an endurance event at some time bitten off more than we could chew. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know not of which you, you speak. <laughs> you, you took part in the one I, I think of immediately in Oregon. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. During, during a trial of a gluten-free existence. <laughs> to, su- to support my partner, who was experimenting with such a thing. And as Mark uh, so astutely pointed out back then, gluten-free quickly becomes low-carb. Mm. And at that time, I was not... <laughs> fat ad- adaptation wasn't even a thing. Mm. And so I was, I was pretty... Probably low glycogen starting a stage race. And uh, my performance declined the first two days... But enough, I, I did okay. Yeah. And then, boy, I started that road race in the first hill. It was a 112-mile road race, and I just turned around and went home. Boy, that was awful. That awful. is astounding that you, awful. that you made that decision. It was, well, I mean, it was, it was so bad. That's I, a, a high level of what, what there's a term for that in, in psychology where you're unwilling to do what groupthink does, and that is a... No, nah, cyclists quit all the time. Yeah, sure. There's like, there's like no shame in in uh, uh, road racing for cyclists just to be like, I'm out. Yeah. It's, it it's really day. fun because I had this. Dis- so I had that this. like fits into the group thing that it's okay in cycling. It's not okay yeah. in other sports. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. DNF is like just, a normal thing yeah. because you're preserving your because sure. you're racing so many. So I had this thing with Joe. I'm just like, uh, dude, if I cross the start line, I finish. Uh, I said I'll DNS for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll drive to the you know start yeah. line and not feel good. But I kind of had this weird thing and like s- bullshit, you know personal self-image thing that i'm not a quitter so no matter how bad no matter how far i'm gonna have to fucking time trial on my own after getting dropped i'm still gonna do it well you did in that race because of mechanical not because you're feeling bad but yeah yeah i want to i want to say that's true that 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 it does change especially at a level where it becomes um advantageous to save energy for the next race especially yeah, like, like when, when they're racing every yeah. couple times a week or, or totally yeah. and, and that took a long time for me to learn because I, I distinctly remember the first race I quit and I it like burns in me because I've only quit one race and it it was the hell of the north race and I couldn't figure out that that should be right up my alley like I can put yeah, a lot of power down on sides. really rough terrain yeah. Yeah, for that mile section or whatever that that's it's a pretty cool race. Yeah, I, I know about it. I, okay. I don't think I've ever done it, but uh, it's super fun. Yeah. Like, and it's a good time of the year, especially. I mean, because it does match that whole like heroic cycling kind of deal. You usually get bad weather, which gets like fifty percent of the population out of it, which mm-hmm. is awesome. So it's anyway. So you get this, you know, mile track, and I couldn't, I couldn't bridge the gaps, and usually I can create the gaps. And I was just like, oh, something's wrong. Um, I did make some mistakes. Like I had heavy, heavy wheels. With, and I was just trying to protect tires. And then I put like 
stop leak or whatever in it. Uh, like, and they were very heavy rotation wise, yeah. but my brake was rubbing a little bit. And I thought I had just blown. And there was like, I, I wasn't going to even make the last break. And I wasn't about to do the last lap on myself. And so I just like rolled to a stop. And I couldn't tell that my brake was rubbing yet. I, I saw that later, but I was like, oh, I guess I'm fucking done. Your brain, your brain was rubbing. <laughs> yeah. And then I, mean, As well. I, I went to go put my bike up and rack it on my car. And so I like spun the wheel. And we've got two URLs. We've got Brian will rub you out and your brain will rub you out. <laughs> <laughs> your brain is rubbing. I, I don't, I don't, maybe that, I don't know why that hurts so bad. I don't know why that, it, not the physical pain, but it hurt me. I thought about that for like months. Well, it's a quitting thing, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I've only quit a couple of things, and it, yeah, they're not proud moments. It's just it depends how you're brought up. But it is valuable to actually quit. Like, so when I was saying, like, man, it's rare that people do that because they usually mask it as something. They mask it as you know, um, oh, it's failure, or yeah, I just or my glycogen stores are low, or whatever the fuck the thing is. There's rare people are like, I'm quitting, and uh, like with no other excuses because I think that is a pow- like a very potent. Uh, mechanism to change your behavior like when mm-hmm. you admit to quit right and but if you but once you sort of dress it up mm-hmm. it becomes a less useful lesson and less powerful i think one of the beautiful things about the barkley marathons whole deal is like <laughs> everybody quits i, I, qu- I quit well, not, they don't took, quit they're forced out yeah, yeah or i quit and it took me three hours to get back to the start line <laughs> you know like I, I i quit three hours from just like fuck yeah that, Okay, and I've got to go so three hours through the briars to get back. To, to get back, yeah. yeah. And I mean, and that's maybe, Brian, like a, an, a, an idea like, okay, we don't quit because oftentimes quitting in the mountain, I mean, quitting in the mountains, you're just, it's not like, okay, you're just plucked from <laughs> the situation and, 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 it's, and it's over and easy. It's like you decide to quit. Well, shit's going to get real complicated. Yeah. Well, quitting in the mountains and, is, is deciding to turn around before your objective. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you can't because you're committed. But. Exactly, or sometimes you decide to, um, for you know whatever reason. But but the, the 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 mechanics of the quitting of failing, of like getting oh now we have to. It's just uh, as hard to quit as to finish sometimes. Sometimes, yes. yeah. Now we got to get. Now we got to repel fifteen pitches with you know five <laughs> anchors that are left on the rack or you know whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah. fuck, Allison Hargraves and I on top of Kangtega, we we had um, three ice screws and fifteen repels to do. Bad math. Bad math. We, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. really bad. Chopped my first bollard in the night nice. in the Himalayas. I'd seen it in like a handbook. <laughs> I knew what it was supposed to look like. <laughs> you get super pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God somebody figured out the V-thread thing. Fucking. <laughs> so on, on that, no, on like, cause I think the quitting thing, you, you started this with how hard it is to get going again. And I, and I could kind of relate this is going to sound like a bullshit thing because i have my normal hip not the cyborg one that you have but i wanted to start running again and it is very fucking hard like especially like i I don't know what it is about it it's just the maybe it's the thought of what it used to feel like that makes it so hard and that as opposed to somebody who has never felt any of this shit just getting fit always feels you know miserable or whatever you we only remember ourselves at our best right I can distinctly. I remember plenty of times when I felt like shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, see, I. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> but yeah, you when you start running yeah. again, you want it to feel like it did when you yes. were 
Peak. Oh, yeah, when like, you quit at your yeah, peak yeah, at yeah. the end of last season. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. that's like six what, minute miles for an hour used to be like a you know a thing that I could do, and and that is not a thing that's even remotely possible anymore. Yeah. And so when I run, and I, I'm like, okay, so get rid of the shit that reminds me of how fucking terrible I am, and just become efficient at what I am in this shell. And that's what I think. Like, that's very hard to do on a bike, like because the computer, because the relation to your terrain, like you know, times going up. The perceptions are different. Yes. Yeah. So when you when you're riding on a bike at half your wattage, yes, you're going like a quarter of the speed that you were going to exactly. go, and exactly. and so you'll 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 spend two hours riding up Big Cottonwood uh, even instead of. An hour or whatever, maybe. Sometimes the wind can can enforce that same sensation when you're like, man, I usually like flying. If you can't feel or there's no noticeable wind, um, but there is, you know, a 10 mile an hour, whatever headwind, and you have reduced your speed by four miles per hour, your perception is that, man, I'm I'm weak today. I'm out of shape. And then all the negative follow through comes with it. And I think there's that's interesting because injury for me has been one of the hardest things to deal with. Even like it just, well, it derailed me. As in, you know, yours, the longevity conversation needs to happen because, A, I want to hear it because I don't know how to do that. But the injury thing for me was racing bikes, shattered my elbow, and then um, basically told that you're useless in, in a profession where I need full mobility and I need to be able to show people how to do stuff. You're basically told you're going to be a one-armed person. Um, the, the mental, the 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 <laughs> the phase of mental dire, you know, agony was pervasive like i, I couldn't think about mm. anything it was just always like what's it gonna be like like i couldn't even hold a sandwich or whatever like that <laughs> how bad is it gonna be and then the curiosity is like you know put pressure on it. you slowly come back but everything is a quit don't quit right at the window so my exercise to start was like hanging my arm out the window to let wind give it some extension and that was like brutal while you were driving while i was driving yeah, yeah. what well, with one hand because you know i stopped to yeah. shift well, and whatever and that makes me think of two two subcategories of this discussion. One is the planned disability, i.e. Mm, yes. a joint replacement. You see it coming. You've prepared mentally, all that. You've done as much research. You've asked people who might know something about it, and you do it. And then you've got your elbow, <laughs> no planning, you know, Andy's ACL, my ACL, oh. You know, those are that's. A, I think it's a different. Oh, approach. absolutely. Now, you might get to the yeah. same like mind fuck, but it's, but it's yeah, it's, it's volunteering. It, yes, exactly. For injury versus you know, like, oh, being Adam. volunteered for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but by, by circumstances, and, and and I think there's a. Um, I mean, yes, this is this is a very powerful distinction, and you and indeed you may get to the same place, but. Um, but I think the initial thing, like, oh, I woke up in the recovery room and, and like, I, I had planned to be here. So it's cool. And, and, but if, but if you are, you know, we're sort of at the, you know, tail end of a really good ski season or you were at, you know, a peak of fitness or whatever, and then this got taken away, the, the, the first, you know, three weeks, month, whatever it is of assimilating the injury probably isn't that helpful for recovery versus like that's probably the harder time mm-hmm. than if you have sort of planned for it yeah um so both of us we were towards the end of our ski season this year to our acls unexpectedly me first oh um and then brian unfortunately him too yeah like, Hashtag like, him what, too? like, like <laughs> one month later yeah i think it was about a month and i think we both had significant plans multiple trips planned yeah and everything oh, else. Yeah. Oh, yeah and um 
I think instantly I could have been really upset mm. and just kind of gone to a dark place and refused to engage in the ski community or to follow along with kind of the social media aspect of it. Mm. And, and instead, I found that by staying as engaged as I possibly could, even going on trips with my brother yeah. uh, and a friend yeah. so that I could film them from, oh. from a drone or something like that. Yeah. Um, mentally, it was like I was still skiing. Yeah. I, I could um, fly the drone up, know how cold it was, see the conditions, watch them skiing and skinning, and I felt the sensations. I could close my eyes. And sure. if you've done something enough, you can, you can feel it. Um, and it was maybe like 50% of the endorphins or everything else oh, that I got. But No kidding. Um, I would go home and I would be in a better mood. And Wow. And I think if I had just totally rejected and said, I'm not looking at anything skiing related for the next, till next year when yeah. I'm fully recovered, mm-hmm. it would have been harder in that initial month period or two month period or whatever it may have been. Because the, the, the sense of loss... Or, right. or something taken, having taken, been taken away would have been great. Yeah, something that I love dearly right. taken away. And I would have felt perhaps more disabled even then going out there admitting that I'm disabled and, and still participating and still participating the best that I can and trying to contribute some way to my crew of let's get some cool video of you guys or some photos yeah. or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that's, you know, we guys talk about social media a lot on this podcast. And this is for me, just listening to you talk about that makes me reflect on my own involvement in the community mm-hmm. via Instagram in this case and, yeah. and my blog well, writing pu- about the industry. One of the reasons that you need social media to be involved in the community is because you sequestered yourself in Alaska. Right. Well, like, <laughs> you yeah. don't actually yeah. get to interact with people <laughs> now. You just <laughs> let me finish my point. Okay. Um, um, I apologize. But, but yeah, it was the same kind of way as it, it, I, I could have checked out yeah. and, you know, canceled the account or put it on hold or whatever. But instead, it was, well, I'm going to share uh, my recovery or my process and, and, th- and then get feedback from people. So it's like being involved, still involved in the community in the same way. I mean, and, 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 and what, the, what you were doing, I mean, both of what the you know, stuff that um, you put out or broadcast during this recovery period, obviously, Brian, you're still you're both we're, I guess we're all still in it to varying degrees. But mm-hmm. um, what you put out is like, it's helpful. Oh, I, the the response I mean, if, from other people is super positive. Yeah, right? to see wow. how aggressive you were, and you know, fully owning your noncompliance, right? Um, and, and that that's not sort of a thing. It's like, okay, well, this is this this is this is part of the possible. You know, this is an, an extent to where I don't actually need to just fold and yeah. and do this. And and um and Andy, I just like that. To, like I can remember a number of those posts and realize, well, I thought he was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe, I, like, I, I, and then I'm starting to think like, how far away do you need to, you know, what's like the max distance that you can control the drone from? Like, where is he? Is, you know, is he out there? Is he at home? Is like, like, how is this happening? Yeah, yeah. And, I, was, I was launching like, it out of the sunroof of my truck. Yeah, I with, those are with, awesome. with, in the back seat with my ice on my knee, just kind of reclined there, watching it on the screen. Um, yeah. So no, that's I never thought this was like that you are dead on. And I never thought that this is probably what helped me so much is because three days post-op, I had to go in and into a gym and just like prove that I was still a thing. So I back squat 365 with one arm and people would call me, you know, whatever they would call me stupid or whatever. Um, and, and I have a picture of it because it's ridiculous. That's like awesome. it is the most ridiculous thing. It is not smart. Three days post-op from an elbow surgery that was very complex. 
And I think I, I needed to do it because I needed to know that I wasn't worthless. I needed to know that I was part of this thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that hope. I think seeing the thing that you love or, or participating in the thing that you care about, that is like, that's the integral thing. And to know that, it, A, it doesn't matter how good you get back at it, but you just want to be in the environment and you want to be around other people that, that you, you want to participate. And it doesn't actually matter if you're the baddest dude there or you can't do the thing that you want to do. But that you can actually still associate with it. Yeah, it's almost like a return to the reason why you got into it in the first place. Not like I think everybody here probably has gotten some notoriety from being able to do what they do really well. Yes. And that's not necessarily why we started doing it. Right. And when you're injured, you're you're reduced to your initial motivations. Like, I just like it. And we talk about this on the identity thing. Uh, On the identity track, we go, a lot of us make a very amateur mistake of taking our abilities and concluding that that's our identity and when our abilities get taken away from us so does our identity yeah and injury is the easiest example of that because man you're the guy that can ski like that or run that far or bike in this category and now you can't even do that then you feel like you are not part of that group or you are not the person or the persona that you built for yourself yeah yeah i mean you're talking about social media earlier and it gets its knocks but um brian mentioned it the response after yeah. getting injured and the hundreds of comments of people wish, you know, with well wishes and stuff like that, it was like almost like would bring me to tears. Like these yeah. are people that I sort of associate with at times or don't know some of them. And, you know, and then uh, a friend of mine uh, started a hashtag turns for Andy. Yeah. And then we continued that with turns for Brian. <laughs> yeah. And he initially did it to try and kind of just like piss me off as a joke. Yeah. And all these random people started hashtagging turns for Andy oh, and yeah. I loved every one of them. I was just getting excited. Like, oh, yeah, cool. Look at where this person's gone. Look at this. And, you know, it just got me excited about skiing. I have a six-year-old, and I'm teaching him to ski. And every time we come down, he's like, hey, I want to go do it again. Yeah. And, and he doesn't have the words for it or the vocabulary. He's just like, I don't know why I like it so much. Yeah. I, I just, it, just feels, it just feels like I want to do it again. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of that's, that's, we're that's, still doing that. We're I've been at whatever doing, age now, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I, like, I just kind of like it. I want to do it doing again. it a long time, and that's how I would describe it exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, for uh, our friend Jeremy Jones, I think that's something that he was talking about right now because he's in the middle of a very hard recovery, and he, he teaching his kids. And maybe this is like, maybe that's the highlight is because that guy is such a high-level snowboarder that – it's kind of a strain to sit with a kid and like, okay, yeah, you're doing good, but want to do it. You do the sport because you want to do it at whatever level you can. And to, even though there's a joy of teaching somebody, that is a frustration. But when you're injured, the joy becomes in that process of, oh, he has to start over again. He has to learn how to balance on this board. And now he can do it with a loved one. That That is strong. And his, his comment about saying like, okay, I could get on the POW deck, which is basically a skateboard mount on top of a snowboard with no bindings. Mm-hmm. He said, and if I'm on the POW deck, my ability is about that of, you know, my son. So <laughs> yeah. we're doing the same thing, essentially. Yeah. Like in him getting that, which... And we're both trying you, real hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I, I mean, to... to sort of watch him go through this process and to have him say that, yeah, I, did, I was at the skate park. I did, what was it? 10, uh, ollies up on the curb. And that was my, tr- that was my tr- ex- training for the day, like to get back to being able to do the thing. And and then we've, we've been having some discussions with, you know, also about how the, the, the injury in, in a way, like how, how it shapes or how it changes how we relate to the, the activity in, in a way. And, and not like, you know, Oh, I do it less, hard because um 
because I'm more scared. I'm more nervous about getting hurt or whatever. It's not, not, not in that way, but just in the way of, um, how our, how we unconsciously guard, how we position ourselves to, um, to protect the injury mm. and stuff like, and, and things like that, that will, that could ultimately lead to, um, you know, degraded movement patterns or, mm-hmm. um, well, Andy and mm. I were talking today is how we will change our skiing next year. Mm. There, there's going to be a conscious decision to make in terms of speed and aggression. And, you know, maybe for some people there's not, there's lots of people who blow their ACLs and go back to world cup skiing and freestyle skiing sure. and all that stuff. But for me, it's a, it's going to change. I'm too old to do this again. Mm. <laughs> but realizing it could happen again. You were too old last year to do this. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but th- those are real decisions. You, you have to face them anyway. Yeah. You can decide to change or not. That's risk management in, in the simplest sense. Yeah. It's like, you know, because not doing the thing that you love comes with detrimental things, just as much as being incapable of doing the thing you love. Like that, those. So I'm going to risk a little bit because that has some kind of payoff that is really hard to articulate articulate to people yeah. like to to say what is that worth to you to be able to run because even to me it doesn't look like it but if i can't run for like an hour without stopping not like life not worth living kind of deal <laughs> i just feel worthless and i'm not good at it and i'm slow but just the ability to to do it makes me like that that's a standard that i just have to have to be able to, to be capable of just this one very simple human task mm-hmm. okay put that on the side note Anything past that, do I need to run for five hours? No. Like, it's not worth that risk to me because that is potential harm. And the same thing goes for almost everything I do. Like, I have to be able to put weight overhead. It feels like I'm better that way. Like, I'm I'm a capable human being. And because our jobs correlate highly to transferring the skill to other people. And you're reinforcing your identity. And I'm, yeah, yeah. That, exactly. Well, I think we like to see progress, too. Right. So from wherever you're at, mm. after your injury, you want to continue to so improve. That's an interesting point. Like I would jump down this alley in a second. And that's because I think there is a huge misconception with physical training and progress. Like we, we equate progress to numbers. But then you have to ask the question, everybody's declining. Like we made a joke earlier, we're all terminal. And running times go down, weights go down. Therefore, what is the process? By after which, a certain age. After. Yeah, not yet for you. You're okay. No, I probably am. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. I think I have training gains and other yeah. things. Still sure. Like, we're, we're all, we're, it's a laugher curve, right? We're, yeah. And then down the other side. Yeah. Um, and, and that peak probably happens in endurance athletes. It probably happens around 35. And in strength athletes, it happens at like 27. In CrossFit athletes, it happens at like 19 or whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> whatever short cycle there is there. Gymnastics, female gymnastics like is like 14. 14. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, there's always something where, yeah, potentially, but very soon on in most people's career, you're going to either plateau because you're unable to actually push past certain areas to begin with. Uh, and this, this is the trick. Like at 35, if you start training um, – to develop the psychological ability to be able to push hard enough to count that as a, uh, a progress, like a number that would count, you won't see the decline for quite a while, yeah. right? But if you start training when you're 20, 35, you're like, man, I'm just not as strong as I used to be. I can't recover as well. Even if the numbers aren't diving right away on running, biking, et cetera, the out, we, we know the output. You mentioned the... Uh, the guy who did 40 years of that race. And, oh, yeah. And you yep. could just see the decline happen. Yeah. I'm not necessarily talking about like 
your own physical potential, mm-hmm. but just progress in some way. So after my injury, I couldn't use my leg mm-hmm. and I couldn't do anything aerobic. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go do go to the gym while I do my PT and mm-hmm. do some pull-ups or lift some weights or whatever. And I haven't touched a weight in 10 years. And I enjoyed seeing the rapid improvement mm-hmm. of just doing a little bit of lifting mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I hadn't done. Or Mark mentioned degradation of movement patterns or guarding. Yeah. Um, right after the surgery, if one of my kids came within like five feet of my leg, I had my arms out and I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. guys, back up, watch out. And I was really guarding every single possible movement. And that has slowly improved to where like they're jumping on my lap and mm. banging my leg and, and I'm kind of eyeing them suspiciously, but I'm not really. And that's I'm ready to And that's progress. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm talking progress in coming back from an injury to like Brian's walking with a limp. Sure. Or his little pimp step, or whatever it is. It's a pimp step. And yeah. P funk is what we call it. I feel like this week, this week, I finally made the, you know, made enough progress with my gait that I, I can at least walk normally if I concentrate on it. So, so. And it's on that note that I think that is the healthiest form of progress, looking at like the, the little things, but we get caught in, in the physical fitness realm easily, and, and especially if you're a competitor competitive athlete numbers are what drive every like that is progress right you get you get enslaved by the quantifiable yeah like i'm either lifting more or riding faster putting out more watts or my split times are down or whatever that is and that that's where i think the trap is because Mm -hmm. if we can ascertain at some point that we go training is very healthy for humans no matter the age and we know that we need to push our ability at any given point but that metric that describes progress um starts declining therefore we can't describe progress we need to reevaluate what progress is and that's what i i I think you've you've identified i would ask like to follow that up have you continued like you're still lifting now to see progress on a domain i've been riding enough now that i can't lift anymore then you let it go right like (laughs) so so now i'm seeing progress back on the bike i'm I'm increasing my the length of my rides i'm riding stronger nice watch is going back up yeah i'm riding more evenly between the two legs so So. i I would i did something similar when i couldn't like you know ride a bike with my elbow i I mean i just started hiking uphill and Mm -hmm. seeing how i did this one trail over and over took me like an hour and two minutes to do this trail and i would just try to chop away at a number i think that was the wrong way to go but i knew i wasn't going to do it after i could ride a bike or run and then i'd switch directions right but you're but you're able to change your focus yes and throw your energy because you have energy yes into a new (laughs) discipline so that you can satisfy that urge to see progress in in some area of life i wouldn't call it energy (laughs) (laughs) the um whatever april of trying to think any when we went when we i think it was 2013 when we went out to tampa and 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 that was the year that like you know whatever a few weeks after that i I, uh had a failure to release of the heel piece uh, in the backcountry and tore my gastroc um and it had to get out and then it was that was at the period of time and so i was a little top a little cottonwood and uh uh time i had a giant truck manual transmission i remember that Ooh, truck yeah. you said i'd hear you before i saw you coming exactly <laughs> and uh it was really hard it was like the most painful injury ever and um and i remember that after sort of three weeks of something um i got on the rollers in the garage and i rode my bike for 20 minutes and that was the most glorious sensation Isn't it beautiful of, yeah it's awesome yeah i mean and, yeah. and that's all it was i was just in the garage and i'm like 20 minutes isn't even a warm-up fuck but right now based it's, on it's movement. what's happened yeah. you know up to this point this is th- this is absolutely magnificent it's something that would have been wholly unsatisfying yeah exactly. like not even worth it getting out of bed for kind of you know whatever and um was like oh 
there is a light. Oh, yeah. there is. First day I was cleared to spin on the bike for 20 minutes, whatever, yeah. like zero resistance. I'm like, this is awesome. awesome. I'm, yeah. s- I'm moving my leg. Yeah. Whereas before yeah. I just felt completely limited. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, I, each, my, my, my progress has been arguably rapid for the first last couple of weeks. But yeah, each day it was just joy. 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 40 minutes, an hour, hour and a half. Two hours yeah. today, yeah. two and a half hours. Yeah. Whatever. Speaking of being non-compliant, like they told me I wasn't allowed to ride outside for a number of months. Yeah. yeah. Just like Ryan, as soon as I could yeah. muster the wattage to right. feel confident going up minor hills. Yeah. I was outside. And that first day, I, it was like could, a sunny spring day around here. And that, that was glorious. If I yeah. could get up the driveway, then I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> the day and I can pedal up the driveway. No, nothing no, else matters. Once you can do that and you realize, ah, yeah. oh, I'm back. Yeah. Even though you're so far from back. Oh, yeah. yeah. You really feel like this is pretty But now you good. actually have the physical capability of manipulating your psychology. Yeah. Like you have those tools. Those tools were gone. And so, you know, you're finding things. You're going out with the guys and, you know, flying the drone from right. the backseat of the truck. I, I did or, whatever I had to do to get through that initial period. Yeah. yeah. And, and then once you start to get the physical language back, then you can, I, I think that, that, I mean, especially for everybody in this room, is a... a, a you know, if, if all we have is our brains, I mean, I, I guess I'll just speak for myself because, well, I can speak for Michael too. If all we have <laughs> is our brains and there's no physical component to it, we are not going to a happy place. Yeah. Like the, the, like the, the outcome of that sort of inward journey probably won't be like clowns and balloons. It, it kind of sucks to even talk about the subject a, because it's kind of, um, it's going to fall Wait, We're going to preach to the choir because all the, all the, all the processes that make you an athlete or make you a competitor are the same processes that you go to heal an injury. And and when you see people injured who haven't partaken in like competitive exercise or anything like that, they it is impossible to fathom the psychology that goes behind that because all of this shit's the same. You're like, yeah, I did that and it felt great. And like that positive reinforcement, I remember the first time that I – you know, could run longer than a mile. And I was so excited about it. I was like, oh, wow, I really broke that barrier. And then I didn't have that feeling again until I ran past 90 minutes. And on a bike, it was the same. Like an hour felt great. And then that there was this 90-minute hell where I just felt like quitting and quitting and quitting. And I did. And then it was like the next one was four hours. And then I was at a barrier of four hours. And it was just like incremental changes. And then you got injured and I treated the injury just like preparation for an event. Like now I have a thing to do. I've got to treat it like this. I can only push so hard before it's detrimental to the actual task at hand, which is full recovery. And to see somebody injured, and we have this sometimes, like somebody is inactive or they at least have never comprehended, you know, uh, fitness. And then now they want to heal this massive injury and whether it's a meniscus or whatever it is. I don't even know how to talk to that person because I'm like, well, you got to look at it like this and make small, but it hurts. Like the fuck did you think it's going to feel like, like this shit hurts. It hurts when I'm healthy. What do you think it's going to feel like when I'm unhealthy? Well, and some of those people are going, well, I would say the majority of those people are going to physical therapy as much as their uh, insurance company will cover three days a week. Uh, You know, he's probably been once I see a guy once a week and they're like, you do not need me. You know, that, that, <laughs> that stuff, he throws a few there, try this and come back and see me in a week. Uh, so that's my doctor ripped up by the prescription for the PT guy after I think it was my eight week checkup when he was supposed to let me go do it because I was asking him, I said it started to get sore after a hundred dips on the rings and he was like, 
tore it. Like, Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, at, when I had my shoulder done, the, 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 my surgeon, he's, he uh, <clears throat> knew me well enough. He's just like, I, I said, well, what about PT? And he goes, I thought you were going to handle that. <laughs> yeah. And and I said, oh, I can, no, don't, good, great. I and he could, goes, yeah. he goes, because I don't want you downstairs with my girls. <laughs> and, and and I said, well, what terrorizing you, the gym. What do you mean? He just said, you know, just just walk through on your way out today and check the population yeah. in there, and you'll know what I mean. I walk through and I'm like, oh yeah, this is like I'm at the orthopedic specialty hospital. Yeah. And yes, there are people recovering from orthopedic issues in there, but most of those were <laughs> um, caused or facilitated by a lack of fitness issues or yeah. um, so not knowing their way around a grocery store. <laughs> he probably could determine based on your temperament that if you were to go down there and use those really handy recovery elastic bands that you would probably hang one from the ceiling and put it around your, your neck. neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used the red band. I had to double up the red and the yellow in order to support my weight. I tried it with the green by itself, and that snapped. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, it, it sucks to say it. it's like it's all the same temperament stuff. It's all I, I mean, we're generally talking about the psychology behind it and illuminating that for people it, it can be really good who haven't you know thought deeply about this stuff. Um, the injury for me was life changing in the fact that it, it for the first time I was like, ah, shit, like I don't get to do exactly what I want. Exactly. Now I'm confined. And that, I think that was the heartbreaking. I can overcome all this stuff. I, I could lift even more weight than I had before and I could compete in things that I'd never tried before. Um, but I was also limited then, uh, especially just aesthetically. God, I'm uneven, man. It yeah. drives me crazy being unsymmetrical. I cannot handle it. So I think there's something I, I, I think about uh, quite often these days. Um, it, it's something that Michael wrote about. Um, we were, and I can't remember, it was a bike ride, one of the rides we did in Bulgaria or whatever. And talking, so uh, if you ever ridden behind me on the bike, you know that my right shoulder is often hiked unless I consciously drop it. And for whatever, I don't know, you know, where it came from, if it came from when I started hiking my hip to like try and open that joint because of the arthritis was fucking with me or, you know, whatever. But um, it, and, and I'm, I'm in the asymmetry thing. I'm super conscious of it. You had written and I think yeah. it was in the the man behind the man project oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had written about that asymmetry because you were riding behind me. And I was just like, fuck, I got to fix this. <laughs> For like, that's what of that's the insult. Bo- that's the total insult. He noticed he put, he committed it to actual words and they're printed now. And I'm just like, to be fair, it only happened in the like fourth and fifth hour. And that's how I could, I mean, that's when I started noticing your speed and your demeanor and the pace is because I wanted to know, like, I want to know how you feel. And I noticed like early on, everything's yeah, fine, symmetrical. And then as we both start to fatigue, you started to dip that shoulder and I could tell and like, oh, okay. Like we're so going to be he's, done. He's soon, getting hopefully. the ultra runner slouch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so right. when I see Mark's shoulder dip, that's when I know when to attack him. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's a sign of weakness, which I was always trying to extrapolate because I was going to say, but Andy, you've already lapped me. So there's yeah. no point in attacking further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this, like I can hold my own for two hours uh, with some very good riders. Uh, not anymore, but in the day I could, I could have some very good power output. But after that, Mark would eat me alive on almost everything that we did. When it gets into that realm, he got faster and I just declined. Like there was a, there's a difference there in our psychology. That's just because, you know, you know, I've been thinking about the power of suggestion and stuff that's in our heads (laughs) a little bit lately. And there was a thing um, that Scott Backey's once confidently said, 
anyone can beat me for the first two hours. And that's a dude that I've gone, you know, 63 hours nonstop (laughs) with in the mountains, you know, just like, and I go, oh yeah, it's true. I guess that is where, whatever it is, the gift that I had and then uh, trained. Yeah, five hours. Now let's have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, or something. It it just, I was marveling the other day because I've been, you know, this fucking weird kind of semi-obsession with the, idea some of these you know lengthy um rides on a bike that include riding on gravel and that sort of mm. thing and and ta- and and uh i've become know, interested <laughs> I, I know i don't and and so i you know youtube tutorials you know not that i need to know how to get fucking hurt you know in <laughs> riding a bike for six hours or nine or 12 or whatever um but i was marveling at how many people you know had uh, and somebody, and it was, I mean, it was something, one of the white room videos. And these guys were talking about like, yeah, I'd never spent more than two hours on a bike. And I thought I could just go do the white room in a day. And uh, I was like, wait, you've never ridden. Well, first of all, bad assumption, but then, wow, you've never ridden the, you know, uh, and, and a couple of the guys said, I've never ridden more than a hundred miles. And I'm like, and you're going to go do that on on a highly, you know, sort of resistant surface. Yeah. Like, know, so, on, a, on a mountain bike, less yeah. efficient and yeah. know, desert heat and, and no thought, access to water. And, and I thought it would like, for some reason that this is a totally normal thing that like, I, I don't know. I've raced. I mean, I've not done what Sean has done, obviously, mm-hmm. cause I've never been on a bike for 18 hours and 47 minutes mm-hmm. or whatever that was, or 21 minutes. <laughs> I get, so I do that is proud. Um, but I have raced, yeah, a couple of let's see, a hundred and seventy mile race, right. a couple of two hundred and six mile races, a hundred fifty yeah. mile race, like just Eight, nine, nine, nine. yeah, you're just yeah. on the bike for a long time, and and it, and for me, I just thought that was kind of a normal thing, and and not like a such a leap, and you know, we were talking today, Andy, about like oh, I just go out and ride for four or six hours at a time, and it was a normal thing, I'm like yeah, I guess that's true, and I guess it's somewhat unusual. The, on our two hour thing that you mentioned, when we we're like, oh, it took me for a two hour thing, that that was for me getting back on a bike this year. That was also like. In the same route, like I'd one done one other two hour ride, but mostly I keep it about ninety minutes, so I don't fucking hate it. So I'm trying to like learn to like it again. And we met up with Jamie, and he was like, "Oh, I've been going. I need to go for about four hours today." And I remember cringing at being like, "I couldn't do that," and I had to rewrite it and be like, "No, that is normal. Like, I need to get back to that being normal. I used to be that was a normal ride. It was yeah. like ah, four hours yeah. today because we're it's a Saturday and it's nice, so you might as well take advantage as opposed to this." I try to get in. It, it, we limit ourselves so often just by the self-talk and the perception of what distance is. Well, not even that. It's just like your passion for it. Mm. You know, like yes. you used to love riding a bike. Mm. It sounds like. Oh yeah. And I still do. Yeah. I hate being bad at it is what I hate. Yeah. Yeah. True. But <laughs> so I'll take it back. I, another injury, mm. um, had a brief period of time where I was trying to run these ultra oh, races, like the like hundred mile uh, stuff. Okay. And, I uh, was in the Leadville 100 okay, and started out and just, I guess at the start of these, you tend to feel amazing. Um, <laughs> Turns out. And <laughs> running above his pay grade. <laughs> and so, running and, above and, your pay grade. And so I went out with the leaders. Of course. And at the 50 mile turnaround, I'm like in fifth or something like that. And, uh, you know, with Scott Jurek, who is a <laughs> yeah. well-known runner in that community. And then, so I'm thinking this is incredible. And I'm feeling Still amazing, 50 miles into it, coming back, still amazing, like just cruising, 
my stomach is great. I can tolerate whatever I want. Mentally, I'm just like super happy. I'm running with my brother who's pacing me. And then somewhere around mile 75, mm. uh, my quad started to go. And I went from running at whatever pace to kind of shuffling. And then coming into the aid station there, I couldn't run anymore, but I was, I was power walking like I was in the Olympics, like oh, yeah. hip swiveling. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm still going to finish this. I'm a race walking man. <laughs> and, and, and then shortly thereafter, like just streams of people started passing, passing. me. And I was still super happy, could eat and drink. And just my, my body was shutting down. I had neglected training the, the eccentric, the downhill. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Leadville's a really there's 12,000. There's plenty yeah, of yeah, vertical yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and it got to where I had to use both poles, and I was barely walking, uh, kind of looking like I had, like... It's, a, a, an ongoing palsy. medical issue? Yeah, yeah, like cerebral yeah. palsy or, or some, something yeah. where I, I was lacking control of my, of my limbs. spectacular. And I'm going less than one mile an hour. Whoa. And I get to mile 87, and I'm like, well, I was on pace to finish in, like, 16 hours. Now I'm on pace not to hit the 30 hour cutoff and I'm just not going to make it. So I, I had to bail out at that point. Cause I literally, I couldn't walk it. Like mentally I was wonderful. I was making jokes. I'm like, this is great. I feel wonderful. I just wow. can't walk. My body is disobeying. Yeah. <laughs> and so next year I was like, I'm going to fix all of that preparation. And, um, that led to a stress fracture really quickly. Oh, yeah, I yeah, did yeah. too much downhill yeah. running and, and whatever else. And you're so, very optimistic about fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was like, I'm going to win this thing next year. And so I get a stress fracture in June I'm sitting at work. I'm like, why does my pelvis hurt? And I talked to oh. one of the orthopedic docs there, and he's like, "Well, this is a stress fracture." And it just hadn't even occurred to me that, you know, I'm wait, a I'm thirty whatever year old male could get a stress fracture yeah. at that point in my pelvis. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're right, hundred percent. So I went and got an MRI that morning, and then that afternoon I went and bought a bike, and mm-hmm. I went from everything running, all the running websites, Shift. all the, uh, you know, I was I was on like Flow Track and Let's Run and watching the Kenyan documentaries and like all the ultra running stuff. To that day, I was a cyclist, 100% all in. You had a full-on Ralpha kit, a $10,000 rig. <laughs> no, like, no joke. Like, it, yeah. I fell in deep the very next day. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, being able to transition that passion after an injury, mm-hmm. like, that limits you from one thing that you love and finding something else immediately. Yeah. It was seamless. I didn't even miss a beat that summer. And I just, I, I probably enjoyed that summer as much as I had any of the other running ones That's previous. Cool. So. And boy, did I enjoy it. Yeah, because you all of a sudden had somebody to talk about bikes with. Oh yeah, well and, no, and, and you got. I, to, I was I was a cyclist uh, long before you know for a long time, and I used to tell these guys like, "Yeah, you should ride a bike." And they're like, "Ah, riding a bike's lame. It's stupid. Outfits are runners, dumb. Blah blah blah. And then he became a full on cyclist. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got the I got the bug from triathlon. Yeah, and it was um, I never associated. I hated triathletes. I thought they're the most annoying people on the planet. But it was fun because it was my first endurance venture, and then I bit off more than I could chew on a half Ironman, and I had a cerebral palsy moment on the run. I, I was very yeah. optimistic about my pace on the bike, coming <laughs> off second overall, and then I started to run, and then my quad gave, <laughs> and then it was like, like I should handstand walk the rest of the distance would be faster <laughs> kind of deal, and so, mm. and so. After that, I did the opposite. That well, not the opposite. I was just like, okay, that distance is not for me yet. I'm gonna go build volume. But then I also had some thoughts like, man, I really hate swimming. Like I don't like training in a pool. I love open water swimming. I also like, hate swimming. It's I love open water swimming though. Mm-hmm. Like it feels really good, but I'm not gonna swim in chlorine and fluorescent lights and fuck that. Um, and then I was like, 
I really am not that good at running either. So why the <laughs> fuck am I doing triathlon? Like, I really like, I enjoy the bike. And it was that moment. Wait, I hate I like, two out of three of these things that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. not a triathlete anymore, yeah, right. apparently. And I, I was no? fairly decent at it. At least short, short distance triathlon uh, favored me quite a bit. Um, but then I, I did the same thing. It was just like the association was, man, the jerseys changed, the bike equipment changed, the style changes, like everything changes. You went from, you know, tri bikes and all these like weird gadgets to get you through and feed to streamlined. How could I hide all this shit to make it look like I'm a Neo Pro kid or whatever, like tan lines? So you went like these from sleeveless yeah. jersey. Yeah. yeah. To a jersey with sleeves. Yes. Yeah. 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 Heartbeat. Boom. That's Just like, like that's that. like a twenty four hour conversion right there. Yeah, and it happened immediately, and exactly. I, it jumped to like all of the. I mean, the Velominati uh, or whatever. That was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, what are the rules? Because it, you joke, it's a funny sight, but you're like taking notes. So Sunglasses like, yeah, yeah. over the over yeah, yeah. straps and one hundred percent. Because Although in I, the wind they flap, man. I threw that out the window this year, and I wrote up big cottonwood without in just my bibs the other day. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, it was that high. Now oh. wait gonna, a second. I'm just gonna be a free man. Wait a second. That's fucking awesome, though. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's looking at me like, who the hell is wow. this guy? That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't know how exactly. I'd res- I guess I'd probably like open the sunroof and like <laughs> <laughs> throw, yeah. throw the horns out there. I don't know. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm okay with that for sure. Um, it, it's when you don't understand the rules that you can't break them. Yeah. But right. if you've got hard lines and you're just like, fuck it, Pantani style or whatever, you know, shave your head and take off your jersey and go bibs to wrap a cotton scarf yeah. around your head or yeah something like or that. just go joe holmes style and never wear a helmet yeah hmm? well no actually when he does because you know like when he's in europe with the usa cycling juniors um as their you know he needs to set a good example anything that he does in an official capacity will wear a helmet but generally you know he's been, the guy's been riding his for racing yeah. for 35 years or whatever and he's yeah first week of my internship at the university I woke up in the ER where I was about to start working uh-huh. with no clothes on because I had gone for a bike ride without a helmet on. Oh. So I wear a helmet now. I, Do you really? I mean, I, yeah. I'm good with wearing a helmet and because I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I started climbing without one. Yeah, uh, right. I started cycling and, without one in Europe. And, yeah. and you didn't wear yeah. them in the 80s, you know? Yeah. And I, in the mountains, it's just like, ah, a headband's pretty cool. Yeah, you know it's funny. Yeah, and you look cool. You got some beautiful headbands. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I did have mullet. a pretty strong headband <laughs> game, did. but only because I had a strong mullet. God, it's you're true. cool. <laughs> it's coming back. It is coming. The back. mullet is coming uh, back for it sure. Is, yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah. No, I had a group of guys that I rode with in Boise, and um, we had a very strong team. And this was when helmets were standard fare, and we all wore helmets. And then a few of them got on this D4 team. They're, they're kind of pros now. Okay. They all stopped wearing helmets. Hmm? Like, really? Oh, we're pro now. We don't have to wear helmets. It was the I, stupidest you, decision I'd ever seen. Whoa. Like, yeah. they, they were us, and then they were them. And like, all of them because of the Be- jersey. Because of the culture. Yeah. 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 But, but the cultural influence is, yeah. is pretty strong. Um, Andy, let me go back to that Uh what happened on this day that you yeah, rode without a helmet? Head was it injury. like a? I oh, mean, obviously oh. you hit your head, but yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, were you mountain biking? Were you? No, I was road bike. Uh, I got a ride up to the university with a friend, mm-hmm. just because we were getting breakfast on the way or something. And he took my bike out of the back of his car, put the wheel back on, but didn't really tighten the skewer. Oh, and I didn't check anything Uh-oh. and just started riding, and everything was fine until I tried to get out of the saddle and accelerate through an intersection as the light was turning red or something, and oh, I yeah. hit a pothole, and then the speed wobbles came. And that's all I remember. 
the wheel didn't actually come off, but it was, it may as well have. Uh, it yeah. Was, Whoa. So, yeah. Smack your face. Uh, scalp lack right here. Mm -hmm. Um, some abrasions on my face. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah. And that's, that's it. And you were out cold. Yeah. Wow. And any like after effects from a like no, TBI or anything? No, uh, no, 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 no kidding. You, yeah, you've been talking to him for an hour. Yeah, it's not always through that channel. <laughs> <laughs> they, they come in mysterious ways. Do you have like visions of like strangling children? <laughs> nope, <laughs> nothing as far as I can tell. Okay, so that's that's lucky. Yeah, that is Damn. very yeah, like, lucky. Um, my friend Joel, his uh, wife went down recently and unconscious Ugh. you know broken ribs punctured lung whole thing and and uh but it's been the, the coming back from the head thing apparently is the, is is the difficult part because it's oh, we were talking about this really hard slow. it's hard to be compliant yeah uh, a guy in uh my jujitsu class the other day a, a very high level black belt just came out wrong and hit his head very fucking hard like i immediately swelled shut uh, enough to like end his day for the day and he was joking and we we're just i was trying to look at his like eyes see if they dilate properly like that that kind of so just like seeing like do you think you're concussed he's like no i'm fine i was like okay like have you checked like i'm i'm hyper aware of that whole like hitting your head is not good <laughs> like I, I i don't know if i'm overly careful with it but i figure like uh, th that that's what drives me crazy kind of about the fight sport thing is how little emphasis they put on that traumatic brain injury thing, either if it's repeated hits or whatever. So we got into the conversation about like how, what people would take, like what, what's the worth to taking a fight? And I was just like, well, you got to take an aspect, like your time to do it. Like people are getting six grand to take a fight, like in MMA sometimes, 10 grand if you're in the UFC for a beginner fighter. Not enough money in my opinion. Um, especially, you know, you're going to get fucked up. And I, in my my thing was like I don't think I would take a fight for less than like two hundred fifty thousand five hundred thousand dollars. Damn, like I don't think it's worth it because I I mean just the risk that's involved with it is you are for sure making contact with your head and somebody else's fist for sure. Mm -hmm. Whether that like whether that causes direct trauma or it's repeated trauma, and you're not even that's the fight. You're not talking about the training working up into the fight where you have to practice that. Yeah, and so you got three to six months of intense head trauma repeatedly. And then you have, you know, all the other stuff that goes into it and you're getting 10 grand. Like the fuck is wrong with you people? I mean, it's entertainment. Keep doing it. Cause it's fun to watch, but <laughs> I like watching it, but I have no desire. No, mm -hmm. no, it came to, I came to that head when I was doing a lot of Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, And it was like, Hey, it's time to fight. And I was like, uh, -uh. it's like, I like thinking like, I like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm okay leaving it right here. I've had enough concussions just from practice that I don't need to yeah. just accidents like getting need in the head and Man. getting a flash knockout. That's enough. Don't need any more of that. So Brian, you're on your ACL. Yeah. You're five weeks. I'll post be five, <laughs> five weeks post-op on Monday. Yeah. Tomorrow. So, so you've been, and you've been, been darn like, aggressive. I, yeah, I mean, in terms of bicycle riding, I have. Yeah. Okay. I just started doing a little bit of weighted squatting, you know, body weight plus a bar. Okay. Partial squat. Yeah. And the only reason I started that is I read some studies on ACL's tension and stress and certain movements and trying to stay in the, the ones that don't load the ligament. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or the tendon trying to become a ligament. So. It, and the joints calm down enough, but uh, doesn't hurt. 
And you recently acquired a ski erg. Yeah. So <laughs> just other ways to get get your yayas out. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't tell you that. Ski erg. <laughs> Did you really get a ski erg? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's oh, that was the little micro lesson out there. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah, he, sure he, I was... he apparently found his way to, you know, fairly I organically, you could, organically uh, yeah or, 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 organic path to you know proper technique if there actually is such a thing but yeah, um, yeah it generally mimic actual cross-country no. skiing and i'm yeah. not much of a cross-country yeah, okay. skier but i yeah. should be a savage next year when it comes to double pulling <laughs> out some some <laughs> because brian can rub you out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's right <laughs> So now my living room has a rowing erg and a ski erg right there, like furniture. In, <laughs> nice. And Carol is okay with it. Uh, okay, that's nice. It's not so. A what's bad in the garage piece then? Of equipment though. Uh, squat rack, treadmill, air bike. Okay. Not the garage, but the little guest room little downstairs. Guest it's room. really small. Okay. I have another that's, guest room upstairs. So that's uh, yeah. Um. So when you had, uh, you tore your ACL and you waited about 10 days? No, that that's Andy. I waited three weeks. Before having the... Yeah, I was just scheduling and stuff. That's how it worked out. And I, I mean, I guess it's already gone, so it's not going to, you're not going to lose more of it. No, but you can't re-injure yourself. But there's, there's a whole discussion here to have, to have about letting the joint calm down, less swelling, less something called arthrofibrosis where the knee gets stiff. If you operate it on too soon, however, there are surgeons who don't believe that's true and they'll do the surgery the day after you oh. blow your ACL. Okay. So that is a thing. It, it's definitely a thing and it depends who you talk to. Okay. Yeah. I happened to work for a guy who did a, a study of about 150 patients mm. and divide them out early versus late. Mm. Late's considered six weeks. Yeah. Early within three weeks, no difference in outcome. Okay. So it depends. The surgeons will have very strong opinions about whether to wait or not, but I think you can go either way and have a good outcome. Yeah, I was eight days yeah, post eight injury. Post. So yeah. that's technically early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, quite. And you were early as well? Uh, technically, but I had a lot more swelling resolution oh. than he did, I bet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was still pretty swollen. Yeah. We both what, had What did a, you handle the swelling, or would you, like anti-inflammatories, or? No, no, you, time. Rest. Okay. Time. Time, elevation, and yeah, just wait. Well, we both cheated and had our knees drained. Yes. <laughs> now, that doesn't, that didn't help me, though. I, I had my Okay, knee... had them drained or drained them? I should have done it myself. It would have been cheaper, but okay. Yeah, um, but you yeah. know a guy? No, my surgeon my okay. did it. We took about that much blood off. Whoa, not the, quite that much, that much blood off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Brian, you? Uh, I yeah. I just went into the office the next day and I talked to a PA and I said, "Dude, this sucks." He's like, "All right, get in the room." And he tapped me. But what what is the help in that if 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 blood flow generally is regarded no, this, this as a healing? The, this well, isn't blood flow where it's supposed to be. This is it's trapped. Blood yeah. within the okay. knee so, that's just sequestered there. That's limiting your range of motion. Yeah, and, pain. and inhibiting okay, your quad. So yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so get and, that out. Get your range of motion back. Start firing your quad again. You're good to go for surgery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the problem is that that artery that's in that anterior cruciate ligament is it's still pumping out apparently sure. because yeah, yeah, my yeah. knee blew up overnight again. <sighs> yeah. It didn't change. So after the drain, after it was drained, it felt good for about six hours. And then I was like, oh, 
that's not really worthwhile. Felt, felt good for six hours, so like three hours into it, I went for a run. And then no, okay. no, no, I didn't not do anything stupid. Okay. <laughs> but I could walk Wait, a little bit better. Too old for that? Yeah. <laughs> too old. Too, to too wait, excuse me, too mature. Yeah, he said he couldn't yeah. be bothered with crutches. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the, I, I stayed on him for like a month. Yeah, just he was like, a month. I was like, oh, really? Days, five days. But you were really when I transitioned to yours the, too, right? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I mean, I'm. I mean, they said I could ride thirty minutes every other day inside, and I'm rode fifteen hours this week. So yeah, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> thirty minutes every other day. Now he's I'll doing that great as a, as a line, you know yeah. as someone yeah. who's had patience. Yeah, he, he at a glance he looks normal. Oh, right, right. Yeah, he doesn't feel normal, but he looks normal. Sure. Muscle bulk is pretty damn good. Really? Yeah. I perceive the asymmetry, but yeah. he didn't see it. He's so. got big quads. So. Uh. But if you look at my VMO, it's it's not quite absent, but it's definitely way Strong. less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a skinnier guy. It is waving in the distance, oh. but you can still tell that it's there. <sighs> God, it's awful. <laughs> you talk about asymmetry. That, that fast. <laughs> Instant. You fill your knee with blood, your your VMO says, and there's probably a reflex mechanism in the ACL telling your quad whether to fire or to not. atrophy. Like yeah, to, well, exactly. Uh, well, once it's inhibited and you can't, yeah, recruit the muscle anymore, it just it's instant. It's going. Interesting, man. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, and there's and it's I've even spent, even without sort of blood in there, if there's any a, a small amount of pain, will actually send the same signal. Mm-hmm. I've actively been trying to shrink my legs for the past two years. <laughs> you not. can do what Tony Anero did when he decided mm. to stop mountain bike racing and start sport climbing because there was money in it. Yeah. He put both his legs in casts for two weeks. <laughs> did you know that story? I did not know that story. That's Psychopath. That, That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, See, fully committed. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. a great rock climber. Yeah. And then he got into mountain biking and then sport climbing happened. And he was like, oh, wow, I was a good rock climber. I can make a living at this. I need to do that. But he had huge, yeah, he was just a, he was a muscle dude. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it got his that's legs skinny same, very that's quickly. That's the same kind of sociopath that would put a <laughs> diaper on to drive to Texas to murder somebody. Like, that's the kind of, it's the kind <laughs> yeah. of personality that. You can pee in a bottle while you're driving, man. Yeah. Yeah. No need yeah. for a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a, Not if you're a female, apparently, because yeah, that's right. who did it. Okay. Oh. The NASA, do you remember that? The astronaut mm-hmm. found out her boyfriend was cheating, got, like, got some depends, and then went nonstop. And I thought, don't you have to fill up for gas? Like, that really? could be a two in one. And you're not losing that much time. <laughs> you are overthinking this too. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to give him I, any more seconds. Number to one, live. she's I, I just, crazy. Yeah. Uh, end of story. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, totally crazy because that's not even that good of an idea. Like the time to go to the Put store. Put a catheter in. Yeah, yeah something. Well, the time to go to the store. I mean, you, that's a bathroom oh, break. And but plan a little bit and just start eating, eating solid eating. food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there you like, go. For, for, only worthwhile for like a cannonball run attempt, like cross country record. I I think where there's money involved rather than revenge. This is where we could have facilitated because we could really show her how to optimize her intermittent fasting cycle so she wouldn't need to stop and eat either. Mm -hmm. And the cognitive enhancement she would get from that, from being such a fat adapted athlete, she'd be able to kill more accurately. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
That was a painful worm. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that can be coached remotely, and I'm not sure that I want those individuals in the space. So. Are you kidding me? Getting a, an astronaut on your clientele list? It doesn't matter what they do. You can just say, I've trained NASA astronauts. What are you training for exactly? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, yeah. We murder. don't send people to space anymore unless you're Elon Musk, so therefore... You're training for murder, yeah. right. which isn't much different than other jobs. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> that was a derailment, I feel I, like. We, I, 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 I believe that. that like, there's not a recovery from that. We didn't uh, talk a lot about orthopedics. <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah. we still do have tomorrow. I mean, it seems like a logical, I feel like, Andy, you yeah. got to bail. I'm going to take off, yeah. Yeah. Um, on that note, on the upswing, Did you just you. remember yeah. something you had to do after all that talk of murder? No, I, it was supposed to be gone for like an hour, and now it's been two. So. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. Thank you, though, yeah, for, no, for coming in. I mean, I, and My pleasure. For participating, even though we weren't, we didn't accomplish our stated objective, however, That's common. I do feel that there was some progress. Yeah. Or cool. something. It's good. Oh, that 90 just, minutes. Actually, no, that just happens at 90 minutes. And, but anyway, <laughs> um, and, and so we'll shut it down right there. Perfect. Cool. Thank you. All right. Ryan, uh, uh, we'll talk again. <laughs> again, yes. <laughs> All right, we're back. Um, Michael and Andy had to take off, and uh, that will allow Brian and I to concentrate on um, the you know this, this joint replacement topic because, um, let's see, I'll, I'll just say that uh, what I what I said earlier um, that you know having thought that a total hip replacement or a knee replacement was like this radical measure and and that that it's like last resort kind of thing um, I, I went from that opinion to realizing okay this is the only solution that I have <laughs> after seeing the uh, MRIs and the X-rays last summer um, that you know no amount of you know, PRP or stem cell or soft tissue work or mobility wad or anything was going to give me any joint space back. <laughs> and, and as soon as I, I realized that, that like, oh, oh, the pain that's been going on um, for the last two to three years isn't, you know, is not getting any better despite all the sort of therapeutic interventions. But, and so once I decided to do the hip replacement, all of a sudden, all of these people that I know popped up on my radar of like, oh, I had that done. You didn't know? Many of them athletes. And then, um, as Brian, you know, uh, reminded me before um, that several of our climbing friends have had it done. Um, you know, one resurfacing, one total, et cetera, and are back doing, you know, like to, I, I'll just say to full activity, like it's not a into the world thing. And, and, um, and Brian was, uh, let's see, you've been working in the, the joint replacement. Well, you know, I've been in orthopedics for 25 years and with a variety of surgeons, a variety of positions, many of which involve joint replacement, None of which until recently were specifically joint replacement. A lot of surgeons do many things or several things. Oh. In the case now, though, I'm with a guy who his volume represents about 1% of the surgeons in the country in terms of numbers of cases a year. And he's by far the busiest surgeon in Alaska. And all we do is hip and knee replacement. So my exposure over the last five years working for him is 
been considerable and a lot more than it was for the 20 years previous to that. <laughs> and so in, in, in the, the place, the, I, I remember a, a figure, but I couldn't remember if it was like 500 total joints a year or 500 hips plus some knees. Or right. Yeah. No, we do about 550 joints okay. and then he'll do probably 80 scopes along the way. Uh, you know, uh, arthroscopy for meniscus tears and that sort of thing, which okay. in a busy joint surgeon's practice is like a staging procedure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are people that are going to have a knee someday. You kind of buy them a few years sometimes, sometimes not much. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it's not a joint replacement, which is considerably more surgery and with all the attendant risks and morbidity that comes with it. Um, so we're doing 550 joints. And it's about one third, two thirds knee, uh, hips to knees. Okay. So, yeah. About, so knees are more common. Yeah, point, we do or... just under 200, um, uh, hips a year. And then the rest of them are knee replacements. The knee seems, well, I don't know. Did that technology sort of come first? I mean, it, that, that seem, I, I seem to have been hearing a, more about that earlier in my uh, yeah, I'm awareness of orthopedics. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to not know the timeline on the development of this stuff. I, I'm pretty sure the hips were developed in the 60s Okay, by a pretty famous uh, British surgeon by the name of Charnley. A lot of stuff's named after him. Okay. But he developed the first techniques and, and the implants and all that. Um, and they've been, you know, evolving. Um, and I mean, one of my biggest concerns um, that actually when you came down last October and we spoke um, uh, and, and alleviated that concern was just the, the, the sheer amount of uh, muscular damage um, that I figured would happen um, when having a hip replaced. Yeah. Like that you'd have to cut through the glute and split it and that it would never you know, and at a certain, at the age one typically has these types of procedures done, um, the ability to, you know, fully recover from that might have waned. Um, but going through the front. Yeah. There's it, less, less of that for sure. Now that can't, you, I can't throw a posterior hip replacement and we should be clear with, you know, oh, the listeners yes. that there's, <clears throat> there's three approaches to the hip and the two most common ones are, well, the most common one by far is the posterior approach. And that's where you do, you put a big hole in your ass, you know, the, the glute max and everything below it gets separated and cut and, you know, damaged to some degree. And then the external rotators of the hip, which are really important stabilizers of that joint, um, also get cut and then reattached. To varying degrees, okay, um, and uh, but but still, even with that kind of destruction or uh, invasion, yeah, a lot of people do great with it. And I know guides, you know, high level climbers, like climbing, and, and yeah, and ski guides that have posterior hip replacements, and they do fine. It's it's the one you learn as a surgical resident, an orthopedic surgical okay. resident, that so you, you learn how to do a posterior hip. But if you evolve in your practice and um, want to do something a little bit slicker, then you learn the anterior approach. And with that, you're not putting big holes in muscles. In fact, you're not really cutting any muscle. You're separating, you're going around, you're cutting the capsule, which is the last line of tissue before you're actually in the joint. You have to do that, obviously, to yeah. get in and cut 
the diseased part of the bones off. But beyond that, on the way out, everything's kind of intact. It's pissed off. Oh, my. Yes. yes as you know. <laughs> um, but they recover for the most part. Um, not everybody. There's there's a few little funny things that happen to tendons and such that lie in that area that can continue to be bothersome. But that's a small percentage of people. It was um, a, a pretty interesting process to, you know, go see the doc. And, you know, obviously the doc is also, I mean, not only a surgeon, but a business guy and a salesman and you know there's um as i've learned in the past with uh, some inter- you know, sort of interaction there's a there, there's a fair degree of orthopedic hubris that um you know that, that comes into it just you know believing in a perfect outcome or this or that and 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 i'm fully willing to go down that road because that's what i need to believe going into it um uh, but you know the the sort of accelerated timeline that had been pitched in the beginning was, um, uh, I mean, I I knew it for what it was, and that you know being older and uh, wiser, um, <laughs> that that I could um, th- 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 to expect you know whether it's you know one and a half times the you know and I and I can't remember what he said but it was something um, somewhat optimistic. Yeah, it, you know, of, of basically, you know, t- two or three months or whatever, and you'll be back to full activity. And 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 it's a guy that I, you know, bike raced against in the past, and so right. and, and we had a little conversation about what I want to do and what I still do, and and he said, ah, same kind of thing. Ski patrol people that he's with hip, you know, that he's done hips on have been, you know, back and working really quickly. Yeah, um, and so I, um, I guess I'm. Well, pretty quick. It'll be five months mm-hmm. out, and I'm, I'm you know, the, 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 there have been some, yeah, some hurdles along the way, but it wasn't like knowing or seeing the extent of what I refer to as a violation. Um, uh, I think it's pretty remarkable what happens in that recovery period. Yeah. Like, well, as I tell my patients, I was like, we do a lot of work through a really small hole. You know, a 10, 10 to 12 centimeter incision, surgeons will sell it as nine. But okay. if you measure it, <laughs> it's more. All right. And I, you know, surgeons are just, they're, they're, yeah. they're pathologically underselling every part of that procedure. Um, and, and, and sometimes they're right. It's a beautiful thing when they are right. When somebody really does is good to go in six weeks. Yeah, it does happen. But um, for the most part, they they just aren't as clear as they should be about how much it hurts, how much violation is involved, and and I, and I don't know why they do that. If there are they fear that fearful that somebody's just going to walk out of their office if they tell it like it is. I, potentially maybe maybe or maybe they just don't think about it that much they're the technicians and they get it done and it yeah. usually goes really well and so they've done their part but they if they haven't had it done to themselves they lack that a certain degree of empathy about what's really happening and that and that may be a job requirement in a way could be um, yeah you know but but uh and i and i wouldn't put anybody you know if i say oh it took longer to recover and it hurt more and blah 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 that that you know than i anticipated or imagined or i mean i couldn't there's no way i could accurately imagine it anyway so 
therefore I shouldn't have had any expectations <laughs> um, other than what was told to me. But I, I would not dissuade anyone, you know, from doing, from having it done. Right. And, and even though I have a, you know, my being self-employed, you know, I'm a single payer, whatever you call it, you know, even though the, the, um, the deductible, et cetera, for this was, you know, significant. Um, so, so it wasn't, you know, totally fully paid for. I mean, there was some financial pain that, oh, yeah. that, that, that came with it, but, um, uh, but so worth it <laughs> right now from where I'm sitting that I've just like, I've just ridden my bike four days in a row. Yeah. And some of that was on dirt where the, you know, the, the force, you know, requirements a lot higher and, um, and that's something that would have had me taking ibuprofen for my hip in the past. Yeah, and that and that's that's the, that's the money shot right there. Yeah, you know, and and when I when I encounter patients and I see most patients postoperatively, the surgeon doesn't see as as nearly as many as his PAs do. Yeah, actually, I got an appointment scheduled tomorrow. I, I wonder if I'll, I'll see the man or yeah. I'll sometimes the man kind of the, drops in, or you man. see him in the hallway. Yeah, but you know, chances are, if he's busy, then you're yeah. you're going to see. And if he's good which is what you want. He's yeah, busy. Yeah. And, and that's just it. And, and, you know, in our practice, we're very clear in our instructions. Like, look, part of me doing your surgery means that we come as a family here. It's a team and you're not going to always see me. And, you know, I trust Brian. I trust Jeremy totally. And if they have any issues, they come to me and I get involved, but you got to right. be cool with that. Don't start whining that you've never seen the surgeon since my operation. <laughs> since it, it, right before the Versed kicked in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and some people really have a hard time with that. They're oh, okay. kind of old school and the surgeon's going to be there and hold their hand. And, you know, if you want time and you want explanations, which a lot of people do, you're going to get it from the PA. I mean, that's yeah. what I do. I'm an educator as well as a technician, but I'm an educator first. That's so. an, um, an interesting distinction because now the, the, the profession of physician's assistant that's physician um, assistant it, physician yeah. assistant yeah. um uh I, I i guess people don't i mean the education requirement is high the 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 the, the it's, it's high ish i mean it's, okay it's a graduate degree most okay. of the time um, but do and I, I guess that would refer to sort of the old school thing because i'm happy talking to the pa um the one thing that uh was recommended and I'm pretty sure you said it as well as Selena. She's just like, okay, find out if your guy has residence in his yeah. office. Yeah. And if he does, then you must in like, I'm going to the surgeon. I'm not going to the surgeon's student and I, and I don't, you know, and being outside the medical profession, looking in, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's not my place to comment on the, um, you know the the skill or, or you know whatever of the, the the resident but i'm going there to you know that that i develop a, I, I develop a relationship with the guy yeah and, and i i, I kind of feel like um yeah for certain things of this uh let's see gravity i guess sure. i want to have someone who's done a bunch of these yeah you know, and, a, <laughs> and and a bunch not being you know less than 20 Right. Well, that's that's for sure, and that's yeah. that's your surgeon, right? You uh, you definitely want to pick the surgeon who's got a high volume, and you talked uh, we talked about that beforehand. You yeah. Know, here's here's a number that I think most surgeons who've done this case would say 
you're you're getting really proficient after this. Right. And so I told you that straight up, and that's an easy thing to ask. But if the resident's doing the case, then that number doesn't really matter, right? And, yeah. to, do, and to what degree is the resident involved? Is, he, is his hands being guided at the time of the case by the surgeon? Well, then that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but is the surgeon in a different room doing a different case? And the surgeon is, or the resident's experienced enough to do the case mostly on his own? Yep, that happens too. And the, the less sophisticated consumer is not going to even understand that. And, you know, in defense of the of the system, the damn residents have to learn somewhere. You no, know, they have to get experience somehow. They've got to get experience. And, and I just tell people, but you don't want them to learn on you. And yeah. that, is, that is such an asshole thing to say, but damn it. <laughs> Knowing what I know, that's what I say. I'm, that's, I mean, that's so selfish, but... Yeah, I don't want to be somebody's mistake. No. Surgeons it, have their own problems. They, they're, they're not infallible. And I've seen plenty of complications there. They're, they're not many, but you know, after 25 years, you've seen enough you, like, oh, shit. No, that's that, too bad. Wow, how did that happen? Okay, yeah. let's fix this, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great question to ask. But, you know, it's amazing how many people have no clue about that. Yeah. And, and they go in and they get a great operation. The resident did it. Residents can be good surgeons and, but, uh, yeah. and they'll never the wiser. And the, they'll never read their operative note, which is, yeah. you know, you got to dig down a little bit yep. and then you find out who did what. Exactly. And yeah. the- <laughs> I mean, when people find out that I close every wound in my, uh, that case that we do, uh-huh. they're like, the doctor didn't do this? No. And then Tim, I, my, my boss, if he's in the room and a, and, a, and a patient says that, he's like, oh, Brian does this way better than I ever did. I haven't done this in years. Like, let him do it, which is, that's hyperbole. But, but he does not have any issues and nor should the patient with what I do or what yeah. PAs do or resident. Yeah. Like you said, but, you, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're entering a relationship with the office, with yeah. the, the, the family and everyone and have to trust everyone there. And, and. Um, you know, for, for, with my guy, virtually everyone from the, you know, from uh, Dr. Hickman to um, the two PAs and the guy that was there that's been doing joints for longer than Hickman has that's, you know, retired and he may, it may be now, uh, uh, by now, but he was sort of on his way out. That guy had a ton of experience and same kind of, and, and he was also in the room at the time. And uh, I mean, it, I was happy to have a relationship with this office, yeah. you know, with, with everyone there, you know, there was nothing. And, you know, there, the, the, there was the hurdle of, um, you know, cause it goes with the upfront selling in a way of, yeah, I've, I've done it as an outpatient thing. You know, you could walk out of the clinic, you know, that day, that afternoon, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, under your own power, maybe weight bearing, maybe not weight bearing, uh, and I wasn't counting on that because, again, I'm just like, oh. I'm, I go and pre- I'm prepared to spend a night. And I ended up actually spending um, a couple of nights yeah. for, you know, for uh, a, a variety of, you know, a, 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 a blood pressure and narcotic related complication. Let's just say that uh, I couldn't stand up without just the bottom falling out um, <laughs> until we changed the the pain meds and then yeah. that, that problem went away. But, um, th- and that's something that I could not have known until the, that situation. Uh, but, but the, the, and then knowing 
um, sort of my history, I guess, you know, and I don't know how many, um, you know, after we had talked about bike racing and mountain climbing and ski touring and all that stuff, the guy realizes, okay, he's fairly active. He's probably going to be non-compliant. So instead of letting him, because I think you've, you've had patients that, that with a total hip that don't have any um, sort of non-weight bearing or partial weight bearing requirement. Right. Yeah, we and, and and I think that's that's a difference from surgeon to surgeons. And okay, I, and I have worked with surgeons who did what you did, you know, crutches for four weeks or yeah. or something like that, and it's just their paranoia. Yeah, you know, you don't really lose anything in the outcome in the long run. The patient gets a little stir crazy, especially someone like you. Yeah. Like you would like to be walking, you know, give you some control back that you completely abandoned when you lay down on that table and went to sleep. <laughs> and that is not without emotional consequence. So the sooner you can get some of that control back emotionally, you're better human. But you take some of that control away by putting them on crutches. Like, nope, not yet, Mark. Yeah. Not yet. You, know, it's you like don't such, get to shop for your own groceries. Or you freaking tease, you yeah. know? I mean, and, and it was an interesting thing there because at least it wasn't it wasn't total non-weight bearing, mm-hmm. which total non-weight bearing actually would have been easier for me psychologically. But but given this idea of like, oh, you, you, you're allowed to put, f- you know. 50%. 50 or, per, percent or 50 pounds was not clear. Yeah. Like in the in in the note afterwards, it said fifty percent, but in person, and you know, I had you know witness in the room, it was fifty pounds, and he may have you know backed off on that, thinking like, okay, if I tell him fifty pounds, he'll put fifty percent, right? You know, he'll put the well, seventy, you know, or whatever. Um, and having spent you know t- on two previous knee surgeries that um, out, out of a total of three, but two of them I was non weight bearing for twelve weeks after each one. Wow. So I can get around on forearm crutches. Yeah. Like I, I, so it wasn't so limiting, but in the beginning, for sure, to go to, 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 go to sleep, um, you know, with one set of circumstances, especially, you know, personal relationship, living at home, you know, the, the, organizing everything for, yeah. for, you know, rides to work to, you know, stuff like that if I'm not driving um, and to wake up dependent, man. Yeah. It's a big change. Yeah. Uh, albeit a temporary one. But yes, those four weeks can seem like a long time. And you know, unfortunately, <laughs> after four weeks on crutches, um, I was hoping to get to spend another four weeks with a cane because I wanted to get like a, you know, a total pimp cane and <laughs> or, <laughs> be or dazzled, have one, be jeweled. Be ju- yeah. Well, actually, you know, was, they said, I, I said, hey, d- can I get the, the head of my femur to, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, he, he wouldn't be the first guy to ask that. Yeah, yeah. They want a gear shift in their Mustang with a polished femoral head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also cool. <laughs> or they want to give it to their dog, which is so nasty. <laughs> I've heard that one, oh, too. Oh, man, that's <laughs> awesome. I, yeah, yeah, after I'm done with this cane, Rover, you can, uh, <laughs> you can chew on you this. You can chew on this. Yeah, but I, I, with the cane, it, it, I actually didn't need it for basically more than a week. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, 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 and that was, um, that, that might have caused some, um, movement patterns that it took something to overcome mm-hmm. afterwards versus the, the, the crutches just yeah. because of, you know, but it all in all, um, a, uh, transformative experience. Yeah. You know, and I just to back up a second about the ambiguity about the weight bearing status. Truth is, it doesn't matter. 
Okay. You know, I, I and he may he may differ from and hear me say that and like yeah. oh, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. But truth is, I've worked for plenty of guys and I've seen it done other ways, and it and it doesn't actually matter unless there's something intraoperatively that I don't know about. Right. Looking at X-rays, it looks like pretty standard. Everything was regular. Everything turned out great. Yeah. And, and and I would say a fair number of surgeons would have let you walk. That right. doesn't mean he's wrong. Uh, it just means it's different. And But and, he also, you know, could have had a, you know, took t- the, the temperature of my personality and realized like, oh, if I put him on crutches, absolutely. he will voluntarily limit his mobility. Yeah. Um, and, and that could be a good thing. Like he won't do too much too soon if right. this is in the way. And I, I and I'm fully and that's resembled just, that yeah, remark. And like, to- <laughs> totally fair. Totally yeah. fair. Um, yeah. And, and you're, you're not my, my typical patient either. You know, my typical patient is 250 to 300 pounds and those people, they're going to limit themselves and I'm not worried about them overdoing it. Right. I just, cause they, I, they, Get uh, get off the. Uh, they overloaded the hip, <laughs> um, n- not by uh, excessive activity. No, no, and and you know they're going to limit themselves. And I tell them use use a walker. Mm-hmm. Most of them can't handle crutches because they're too weak, and so they use a walker until you're not going to fall. And once you feel stable, then go for it. Do whatever you want. Walk. Yeah. Realizing that sometimes you will do too much and you'll pay for it. It's not the end of the world. Most of the time, you're not going to undo what we did. But you might have a couple rough days in there if you get a little too anxious, and, uh, ambitious. And, and the rough days are just are, are sort of just a, a, a pain thing. And and we did have a discussion prior to um, going in, just like okay, don't take any NSAIDs. You know, try and be off them if you know for a while. Yeah. Before you go in, um, so that there's no interference and don't you know you you wanted if it's something for pain you. Uh, you want to take something that doesn't have any um, potential negative impact on the healing process. Exactly. And that's, you know, we talked about NSAIDs and their role in, in bone uh, physiology. And, and yeah. I think it's, it's a good thing. Don't take up smoking or chewing tobacco either. Okay. And, you know, as, as a, yeah, as a just, way to get through the four weeks. Yeah, on you know, so you're, you're bored, <laughs> so you start dipping, and, yeah. and that's not good. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> On a number of I, levels, it, but it, particularly it, for your hip. But, but, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and then the um, – and, I, and I, I certainly could have uh, – had I been in a little bit better psychological condition leading up to it, I certainly could have done a fair amount of um, uh, more prep work in the gym to strengthen things. You know, so so that if there was a decline in in uh, you know, sort of if uh, there was some muscle loss, you know, it would have, you know, if I had built it up a little bit beforehand, I would have you know absolutely and not had to come back from such a um, a, a place. Yeah, the deconditioning um, but, is rapid and profound. Yes, in a week, you're you're way less than you were, <laughs> and and Let alone I, four. Yeah. Well, there's that, and then I th- and I think there's also, as you said, there's you know re- regarding some of the, the something else involved here, but there is an emotional sort of cost. There is a psychological cost that goes with that, with that, with that loss of um, ability, that loss, uh, uh. you know, and and um, and I know it came up, you know, with, with with you, and Andy, that you know the idea that I volunteered for this loss doesn't necessarily or didn't necessarily, I don't think, make the impact any you know, the insidious piece of it, um, any easier. 
Yeah, you you can't really can't anticipate your reaction, your emotional reaction. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it can be anxiety producing, almost desperate at times if you let it get too far under your skin. <laughs> but you know, for me, you know, being post op as well, it was okay. I'm this is a project. And this is just another event to train for, and recovery is the event. And if you can break it down like that, eh, it's pretty tall. It's just another thing to prepare for, and we're good at that. We've been doing that our whole life. So try not let that other stuff eat eat into you too far, which obviously you got you got through it. And so. and for you, you know, obviously this was an, an injury related, like tearing the ACL. It's not something you voluntarily have done to no. you. Um, uh, so there there is that for, that from you know one moment to the next kind of you know lack of preparation to yeah. go from capable to ah fuck um <laughs> and uh so what is the the different i mean every other surgery i've had um has resulted from that you know it'd been an injury related type of thing mm-hmm. that you know finally the biceps tendon ruptured on my shoulder and that was the only thing really holding my shoulder together and there was the pain relief was immediate which was great yeah. but the, the functional limitations came you know right away okay i need to go and within a week i was in and had it fixed yeah um but there's a so if someone is you know looking at doing a joint replacement that's not something that's going to happen to you accidentally it's not due to injury whether it's a knee or a hip so uh, and I think a lot of people put it off. They be, do. Be, because they, they might have had, you know, prior orthopedic intervention, you know, an experience with that and didn't want to go through, oh, man, I'm, I lost so much of my life or whatever. But what we don't realize going into it is how um, how much our lives have been compromised by the fact that, okay, there's advanced osteoarthritis in this hip your bone on bone. There are certain things that you can't do. What do you get? You know, what have you given up done? You know, yeah, I didn't stop hiking altogether or going, you know, going uphill and stop. Well, I did stop running, but that's unrelated. That's just, right. you could do that for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't stop riding or whatever, but I definitely toned, you know, turned it down, but also without noticing, not putting the, the, the blame on the hip, you know, it was just, whatever, you know, reasons, excuses, slash, whatever, you know, I came up with. So, but I think a lot of people look at it and I, and, and, uh, and say, well, I'm waiting for, you know, the technology to improve or, I love that or, 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 <laughs> you know, technology is pretty fucking good as far as I can tell, <laughs> but, you know, or I, I, I'm, you know, waiting till I have six months to spare, you know, something and you keep putting it off, keep putting it off. And, and, and if, you know, depending on the extent of the, um, disease if you will or the i mean i used to just call it that um you unconsciously change your life in ways that you don't realize absolutely and so i you know i i wouldn't necessarily i'd, I'd say yeah go ahead and i mean you're gonna have to wait anyway if you're gonna get, do it with a good surgeon if your surgeon's available to, to do it tomorrow yeah, maybe maybe get a different opinion. Um, it, it, just yeah. just because I I, I want to go to the dude who's busy and I'm and, and I'm gonna get some time you know some time or or my planning like I could have had it done at the end of 2017, but you know, I'm looking to have something else done this year. And I figured, okay, we do it, we launch it, I meet the deductible uh, by the end of January this year, and then once I recover from this, I can start looking at other 
stuff that would be fully covered by my insurance. That was my reason to wait. Um, but, but once I realized that the, 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 the replacement was the only option to improve, like the decision was super easy. Yeah. Yeah. The whole technology thing is, is one I hear a lot, you know, I'm just waiting for it to get better. It's like, well, you know, if you look at the last 40 years of hip replacement, for instance, the design of the implant is they look pretty much the same. I mean, there, yeah, there's some head size, some real detail things that have changed and have improved for sure. But the, the whole concept of what we're doing is really absolutely the same. You know, just resurface these two parts that are worn out and painful. However, in 2003, the big change was the plastic, the polyethylene liner. Okay. Um, and that is the most common uh, hip socket replacement material now. It's, it's got a, a titanium cup, but this liner is plugged into that thing. Now, there's, we can get down into the weeds on metal-on-metal metal implants and, and, and ceramic-on-ceramic, ceramic, which have had uh, varying degrees of success but are generally not done very commonly anymore. Okay. But the plastic was the weak link. And that was worth waiting for. And, you know, obviously it's not relevant to you, but people who are right in that, that area of 2003, 2004, if they had known that if they waited a year, they could get the new plastic versus the old plastic, that would have been worthwhile, particularly if they were young. Okay. Because, uh, you know, the older plastic was just not as resistant to oxidation and wear. And then you develop some problems if you're of a particular type of person you know who's actually going to go use that hip no it's just some people respond to this process more violently than some other people you know you wear out you shed polyethylene particles into the joint and in some folks it creates a massive inflammatory reaction that will dissolve bone dissolve capsule and create a whole bunch of problems and so and that all was resolved by advances in in polyethylene yeah, technology cross-linking this stuff irradiating 15 it years in, ago essentially yeah, yeah impregnating it with vitamin e as an antioxidant there's all kinds of little voodoo things that they do but the the end result is a plastic that it seems to last forever. But as you pointed out, it's only been around 15 years now. I, I wasn't saying only. I was saying that's a good amount of time for it to have been around. So if you were oh, thinking about absolutely. waiting, don't wait. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, and, and really, that was the limitation. Okay. Um, so in terms of the other parts of the implants, are we going to make that any better? I don't I don't think so. Not dramatically so. But I mean, now it seems like, okay, when people say, I'm waiting for advances, you know, the technology to advance, I'm like, you're, sounds like you're waiting for a magic wand and we can invent that and like bang you with it and your hips replaced with you <laughs> right. know, no problem and you right. go to the you know you go down to the uh soccer pitch later later that day I, that's, good. that's not gonna happen yeah. <laughs> you know you'll be waiting a long time um but so so then uh and there was some metal on metal issues but that's not common anymore either yeah, it, there, it's, you know, when I, when I go to these big meetings with orthopedic surgeons and a lot of heavies in the room and they yeah. say, who's still doing metal on metal? And they you, literally, you got a 800 guys sitting in the room and yeah. they raise their hands and it's just a few. Okay. And um, I have only done one okay. and it was with a fairly inexperienced surgeon in a really young person. And I don't know how that ended up going for that poor fellow because as we know there are some problems with metal on metal 
in terms of ion shedding and all that sort of stuff. But um, but as as you noted, that's not that's not done anymore, and the technology is it's done. Yeah. I, I guarantee oh. you, there are people still doing it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't say no hands went up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and it's mostly done with resurfacing as opposed to a full replacement. That's getting down into some you know very esoteric details, but yeah, it's it's still done, and and particularly in Europe, I think there's still people who are fans. Okay. Yeah. Why would someone choose? I mean, just in the specific thing, and maybe it's too far in the weeds, but why would someone choose a, a resurfacing versus a, a replacement? Uh, well, you know, it's it's sold as less invasive, right? Okay. You know, you're still doing the cup exactly the same, but the femur, you're just resurfacing the head as opposed to cutting the neck of the femur and putting something down the shaft of the femur, okay. right? Yeah. This thing is just a little cap, if you okay. would. Now, it also has the advantage, because it's metal on metal, you can use a very large head size. So typically we put in a, like a 30, you probably have a 36 millimeter diameter ceramic head on your um, uh, ephemeral prosthesis. You can go 41, 42, I think maybe even they did 45s. So bigger and bigger is more stable. Okay. Yeah. And that's what we're, we're high performance folks need a stable hip and you don't want to dislocate. Yeah. And I think one of the benefits of the resurface hips is that you had really good stability. Interesting. Yeah. Now, honestly, I've never done one. I've never been with a surgeon who wanted to do it. He or they simply didn't believe they were worthwhile. Okay. Because there's some complications that can come. There's some technical subtleties that need to be attended to and successfully executed to have a really good outcome with those. And when those details go sideways, then those complications follow. Okay. Whether femoral neck fracture ion shedding and all these other things that we'll, we'll probably not get into here. Yeah. You can dig down online and find everything you need to know about those disasters. So I, I understand that you're not familiar with the specific um, implant that I have and that, that sort of thing, but yep. you know, the technology is the, the same it, as yeah. the, the, the other um, brands because you know, there are a couple, couple of manufacturers Yeah. Um, how long is this going to last? That's a great question because people worry about that. Well, yeah. I don't want to have a, you know, a revision. Like you're really worried about something's going to happen 15, 20, 30 years, maybe never in the future. Wow. You need to focus on today, my friend. Um, so first of all that, right? <laughs> How I mean, much does your life suck right now? <laughs> you know? And that's an, a, a, a question to honestly answer. Yes. You know, to, to just Absolutely. say, look, even if I have to get it done, uh, Again, in 10 years, damn, I will have gotten at least like six or seven really good ones, really good ones before yeah. it started, you know, yeah. making me cranky. But even the old but, ones lasted 15, 20 years. I think okay. I just took one out. I, I want to say it's been in for 30 and the actual, oh. the, the metal in the neck of the implant fractured. It broke. This guy uh, had a had a good functioning hip replacement. He had done a long time ago. And, you know, <laughs> everybody in the room in our office, like, whoa, I've never seen that before. How old is that thing? Oh, 30 years. Like, oh. Oh, huh. Huh. Well, the metal fatigued. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were some factors that led to that that you could, you could see. Oh, well, I can see how that would happen. Um, but uh, 30 years of pretty damn good run if you ask me it really me. was and this guy was a skinny active dude mm -hmm. um, so he 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 got his money's worth 
And then we had to clean up the mess. And that was not without significant morbidity. Getting a, a well-fixed stem that's welded into somebody's femur because the bone grew into it like it was supposed to, yeah. it's not easy to remove. And you take apart somebody's femur, a big chunk of it. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of technical details that make that difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, challenging yeah. is definitely a word to use. And, and I think all in all, the guy's on his way to having a pretty good uh, recovery. Um, it's not going to be like his original one. But I think given circumstances, um, he'll do fine. And if that was done 30 years ago, he's, he, he's not. 35 years old no no he's like, he's, he's actually pretty young oh, okay yeah he's actually in his uh, maybe early 60s if i remember right okay so yeah i think given his desired level of activity he's going to be a little disappointed yeah but you know these are the cards that you get dealt in life if you're in your thir- you're 30 and you get a hip replacement you know you something happened that you, you know yeah. the, the 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 card that you got in life was not awesome like, ah man i wish i hadn't turned that one over yeah <laughs> it's just a bummer and you know you can kind of predict that it, this might not be your last unfortunate hand that you get and indeed you know, we, we had to make chicken salad out of that chicken shit. And, and it's, yeah. it's looking pretty tasty right now. He's probably six months out. And okay. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. And he is as well because he was really bummed initially. Oh, I'm sure. Because the, this is nothing like the first time. Like, well, duh. Yeah. We, Can I uh, show you your x-ray and look at the bomb that went off in there? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and, and people are so they, – they're so resentful that – this happened to them. And, you know, I get that. But, man, you got to move on. And, and you had a good guy who, di- who really did you a good service, considering what he had to start with. Yeah. I think it, it's going to turn out fine. But, and, and this is an interesting sort of uh, – and maybe – I don't know. don't think it goes along. It's not an entitlement thing. But that idea of, like, getting the bad hand and being so upset that – Mm-hmm. It's what you got. I'm like, well, life, you know, you did, you, and, and there is no balance. You didn't get a good one to go with it to make it better, you know. But um, when I realized, like, I had been trying all kinds of different therapeutic interventions on my hip, and you know, and convinced that it was a soft tissue thing, like yeah. it never occurred to me <laughs> that at my age, fifty six years old or fifty five last year when I when I learned. I, arthritis doesn't happen to me. <laughs> Advanced osteoarthritis doesn't happen to me. Uh, like that weird, why asymmetry where there's no joint space on one side and there is on yeah. the other side and yeah. and all that goes with that, et cetera. That doesn't happen to me. <laughs> and then it did and I was like, oh, that happened to me. All right, let's fix it. Yeah. Like there's no uh, th- uh, no animosity, no nothing. And in, in, in the question's, that have ensued, you know, oh man, why'd you have to do that? And I'm just, you know, why'd you have to get your hip replaced? And I said, well, mileage. Well, what do you mean? I, I, I used to go up and down hills with weight on my back. Yeah. Often running down. Um, it was bound to happen. I'm actually now, you know, sort of looking back in a way, I'm like, I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner. Yeah. And 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 that being said, had it happened sooner, I would probably have been more resistant to resolving it, mm-hmm. um, you know, at a, at a younger age than I am. Right. And, and, in, and then if you had come to me or someone like me, I could have given you the same 
the same encouragement that it's not the end of the world. It yeah. will make your life better. And um, it, it is something to do now. I don't care how old you are. I mean, I've done these on 20-year-olds uh, because of a variety of bad cards. Right. And and you know what? Will the 20-year-old never have another hip operation? I like to think not. But like like I pointed out, that technology that, that we are so happy with uh, hasn't been around long enough for me to say it will last 40, 50 years. Yeah. But it it might, and and I think as as if you ask smart surgeons to speculate, most of them will say, yeah, I I, I think it just might, because I've taken out mm-hmm. enough stems that mm-hmm. for whatever reason needed to come out. They were really part of these people. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. And if the polyethylene doesn't wear out, then and cause those problems that I talked about that make bone dissolve and hit yeah. and, and tissue dissolve, then then what's to make it fail? And and that polyethylene, um, so you've got the titanium cup, and if yep. that polyethylene liner does wear out, is it a simple replacement of the liner potentially? It is, absolutely. Yeah, if you don't have that reaction yeah. to the, the particles, and again, this isn't really a discussion to have with the new stuff, but say something happens to this plastic that is unforeseen, um, if you don't have the reaction, then yeah, just popping out the liner and putting a new one in is oftentimes all you have to do. Wow. And there's enough old people walking around out there with hips that are wearing out. And you yeah. see it. You know, you look at a head in a in a, a new hip like yours, the head is perfectly centered. And then you look at someone with an old style one and all of a sudden it's up at the limit of the of oh, the uh, socket. Okay. And sometimes people are actually wearing through the metal part, which is really disappointing. These are people that tolerated this process, were unaware of it, and they came in to see us too late. And when you start dinging the metal, then you need a little bit more done. Right. Then you have to replace the whole cup. And those are th- and those are typically the the these these are um Implants and that sort of thing from a an era gone by. Yeah, and and in, in, in fact, that's a great point. Sometimes it's hard to find plastic for these old ones, and then you do have to revise the cup. Okay, which isn't a big deal, given that we have some really cool technology for removing this stuff from bone. This way of cutting these cups out that absolutely spares all the bone, which is really wow. satisfying. Every time we use this explant device, we comment it's like. Man, that's cool. That guy is not working anymore. He's sipping Mai Tais in Bermuda. He is not doing surgery anymore because this thing is killer. Because he invented it's, this. It invented this, this, this simple little, it's, it's just so damn clever. Wow. Yeah, it's the explant. And man, it works good. And so, so and, and that's really satisfying. Whereas taking a, a stem out of a femur is absolute medieval carving and chipping. And there's nothing really slick about that. And it's just awful to do. Uh, it's uh, yeah. yeah, the cup. No, nah, that's that's the last thing you worry about. We're, we're getting that thing out really clean. Clean. Yeah. So let, let's um, circle back to the do it today argument. Yeah. You know, if if you've been dealing with with stuff for a while, and and I know that um, Josh Furt with uh, his, his knees, he had multiple knee surgeries. Um, and he explained, he came in, he's sitting in here with Jeremy Jones and us um, in a podcast we haven't launched yet at this time. Um, but it sort of explained his history as a, you know, pro snowboarder. And yeah. What happened to, you know, to, to him. But I, I, you know, he 
and I don't know if he was waiting for technology or waiting he for the, the down, you know, or whatever. And, yeah. and cause I know you had some discussion with him, but, but th- th- there's a, a guy whose quality of life could have improved, could have been improved, um, you know, some years ago. Mm-hmm. It, 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 uh, and, and for whatever reason, you know, you, if you have had some surgeries in the past or whatever, and, and, and not an ideal outcome, you're, understandably reluctant to um you know to go again yeah <laughs> um but but with this type of technology it really does seem like okay this i can have near immediate relief and i know that a knee is 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 <laughs> quite different from yeah. a, from a hip acutely um, it is for sure uh you know so so if i say near immediate relief don't listen to me because <laughs> because <laughs> i'm not even talking about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> you sound like a surgeon. <laughs> yeah. It, everything went swimmingly. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yes. The perfect outcome. Um, anyway, that, uh, but, but putting it off doesn't, um, doesn't guarantee a better outcome and only uh, gives you something else to think about in this moment when you're sort of in pain and limited. And, yeah. and 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 uh, as as you mentioned earlier, uh, an, an anecdote um, that could drive that home about you know putting it off and then things not going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's my most profound medical anecdote in my career. You know, and it happened to be with a surgeon that I work for, a really great doc, and you know, one of the best guys I, I've I've had the pleasure of being associated with and he's super active guy climber cyclist and just all around fun hog and uh, gave up climbing and backpacking and just moving in the mountains because his knee was so bad i mean he had a really shitty knee he had his meniscus taken out in high school uh, he was a star Whoa. football player Ooh. okay yeah and back then you know i think he's in his 60s now so back then they didn't do arthroscopic trimming they went in and just cut it out and you know what it works great your your knee joint still works fine as long as you have the articular cartilage intact you can take out the meniscus and and be super functional okay back to full full football full everything but then the table is set because the meniscus tissue definitely prevents or at least reduces the onset of arthritis and ed predictably went that way and, okay and he knew it and uh you know he ran a lot and did all this stuff um and then finally had to stop doing it he became a kayaker and, okay. and that that, yeah. that satisfied him and then his children grew up and he really wanted to take them into the mountains and so he knew what he needed to do he needed to get a, a knee replacement and and this was in this time of old poly so he knew that the polyethylene would wear and so he was kicking the can down the road only because he knew that, uh, you know, a revision was in his future of some sort, whether it's just changing the plastic or having some other thing done. And, and have, having seen infections and all those things, he sure. was understandably scared of it. But he finally did it. And talk about the most paranoid 
surgical procedure ever performed. Like, you know, oh my they, goodness, they, yeah. they lock the doors of the room. Nobody comes in or out until I'm done, you know, because there's, there's certain things that can increase the risk of infection and traffic in and out of a room, yeah. number of people in the room, all that stuff. And he did his best to, to manhandle all those factors. And he had a great outcome. Um, and so he got back, we went to, we went to Nepal, we climbed Rainier, he was hiking and riding his bike. He was still attendant to this polyethylene wear issue. Okay. And so he was meeting out his weight bearing, full weight bearing activity accordingly. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't always hike when he wanted to. And, you know, I think I'll ride my bike here. And then every year he'd get an x-ray to see how his polyethylene looked and all that sort of thing. And, you know, for, for, I can't remember, less than a decade, he was doing this and doing great. And then he got hit by a car and he's paralyzed. And so now it doesn't matter what his knee's doing. Uh, it's not going to wear out. He's not standing on it. And so, you know, that's a lesson, right? It's like, so how much time did he, well, I guess, as you said, he changed his activity levels during that process of waiting for this, you know, the techno, the, some advancement, I mean, you you know, that, that, you know, the quality of life declined or decreased, um, in that interim period while he was not, while he was waiting to have the hip done or the the, knee, the knee, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, he knew that, that that these that this plastic isn't going to last forever, particularly right. at the activity level that he would probably be involved in. And so I think that was reasonable. And during that part of my career, I definitely counseled people, well, let's, let's just get it into your late 50s so it's the only knee replacement you, you have. need to have. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I don't say that as much anymore. Okay. You know, and I, and I don't say, oh, it'll last forever. Uh, I think your plastic will last forever. There are some other things that are unique to knee replacements and how we attach them to bones that can lead to further need of revision. You know, the aseptic loosening, you know, they're cemented onto the bone. Does that cement interface fail? Sometimes it does. I don't see a lot of it, frankly. But I think that's one thing you could be concerned about. Um, So... You know, I, I, I measure my enthusiasm a little bit from that while saying, look, I don't do a lot of that, though. I don't see a lot of it. Just do it. Yeah. Because you could be paralyzed tomorrow. You know, that's the thing. Exactly. That's the thing. How much does your life mean to you right now? These activities, um, quality of sleep, the ability to work, and, you know— so that's, that's how I present it when I'm counseling patients on whether to do it. And, and, you know, pain, sleep, and work, or pain being the first one, and then the activities are sleep, work, and play. Yeah. And you have to decide what, what you're willing to give up, what you're willing to tolerate. And, and, and maybe, a, 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 uh, a, maybe this is part of pain and sleep more than anything, but how much of an asshole are you being in your relationship? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how, and are there things that you want to do with your partner that you don't do, that you can't do? Exactly. That, you know, and, and, um, and, and those are little things like, you know, the, the asshole factor of, yeah, if you don't sleep well because of this pain, um, that you have, you, you become chronically ornery as far as, you know, my, personal experience goes whether it's lack of sleep or that or the or the nagging pain for you know some days after doing an activity or something like that i mean it's just you know my the fuse shortened for sure Mm -hmm. in my my life over the last several years and like well 
I, I mean, I'm not <clears throat> mature enough to say that people around me don't deserve me to be an asshole, but uh, <laughs> I think I'm slightly less of one now. Or, and if, if I am now, it's not because of my hip. Yeah. And then, you know, the people uh-huh. who are resistant to having either one of these surgeries and they're on narcotic pain medication, yeah. you've already crossed the threshold. You need to stop now because narcotics are not the answer. They don't work very well and they cause so many problems as anybody who pulls their head out of the sand and reads a newspaper, listens to the news. We know we have an opioid epidemic. And part of that is driven by people in chronic pain who are being managed with these meds that could 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 be managed with an operation. And, and I understand yeah. why you don't want to have an operation. They're not sure. all perfect and they don't all go great. But tell me how your life is in 10 years when you're, you got cut off from your opioids and now you're shooting heroin. That's where those people go. And it's tragic. Man. So, yeah. You know, so there's that. And the other thing where I kind of sh- shoehorn people into the surgical route is it's a it's a small group of patients, but when if you're the kind of person that can destroy your joint bone on bone and start eroding your bone and not feel pain very much, and those people are out there, they, they always blow my mind when they come into my office and I look at their X-ray and I'm like, really, you're just you're still working, you're still doing this and that, and even though your your knee looks like that. But if you're one of those guys and you start losing bone stock and you start compromising the ability of your surgeon to make a really nice joint replacement, that might be a time to think about having your knee replaced. Even though you're still running, yeah, climbing, skiing, but your joint's starting to look really funky, then what you're going to ultimately have, and you can only kick that down the road so far before you can't do those things... Because the, because you're, you're degrading the raw material. You're degrading the raw materials. And that's a real unfortunate thing. And I have one friend who's doing that currently. Okay. And he is in such denial about what a big deal he is facing. And I've shown, I've shown his x-rays. And, uh, you know, Tim's mm-hmm. like, uh, he's already past that point. I, I think I can help him. But this is going to be tricky. This is it, not amateur hour. This is not that you go see the guy who's done 50 joints a year to do right. this one. You need somebody who does complex revision surgery and fixes this kind of issue. There was um, actually a conversation that I had with the, the, the older doc um, that was uh, in the room and participating in the surgery with Hickman. Um, at, at the not the day after, but the day, the second day after or something. Um, and we were talking and he said, uh, he kind of asked me what my background was. And I told him, ah, you know, professional mountain climber, this, that. And he said, well, yours was uh, one of the sort of, I can't remember the exact term. I'll just say sort of, you know, nastiest or most, you know, difficult, you know, the, there, there was a lot more damage there than it, your it, x-rays would suggest suggest yeah, yeah. and he, he he just said um you know you must be one tough man <laughs> and i'm like i'm on my back with all kinds of fucking pain meds going through me right now i don't feel very tough i don't right feel now. super tough at the moment but <laughs> and and I, I think there is that um certain people will have a higher tolerance for pain or or it's like oh, oh yeah. yeah 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 it hurts i mean like I started having knee issues as a teenager 
so like the, the the knee pain and various forms of you know joint discomfort and that kind of thing like it's been in my life for a long time and yeah. and and exacerbated by the things that I choose to do that I'm not going to stop doing until the pain is so debilitating that right that I'm going to stop doing it well, there's a ten, there's a tendency of, of surgeons in particular to try to equate radiographic findings with pain or subjective sense of, and and they don't always line up. I, okay. I I've yeah. seen I've seen the most normal looking X-rays, and the patient is a puddle of just whimpering whatnot. Yeah, and I'm like really, dude, I don't really see much on here. <laughs> and then I I've seen some of these people actually go to operation, and they. They get a knee replacement and they, you know, you open their joint up and you're like, Ooh, that's, yeah, that might cause pain. And so, you know, how people experience these changes in their joint is really variable. It's really variable. So, you know, you, you see people with amazing deformity and they're super functional and people with normal quote unquote, normal looking joints and they're debilitated. What's going on there? We don't know. Yeah, who knows? We don't know. It's, it's yeah, there's psychosocial stuff. There's secondary issues. Is there a car accident? Is there a work comp accident? Those make people not get better. Yeah. Until those issues are resolved, and then, oh, magically they feel better. <laughs> oh, yeah, the the term of support ran out. I guess I'm good to go now. <laughs> yeah, 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 after. I guess I'm going back to work. Yeah, exactly, and that's so it, true. But uh, yeah, you and can't always predict disability based on, you know, what your x-rays look like. I, I think the psychological component is um, a, a pretty big piece of it. And um, and also, you know, maybe it's some personal identity stuff, mm-hmm. especially as, as an athlete. Like, oh, what if I have to, I mean, this topic has come up a few times, but what if I have to stop doing Oh, yeah. You know, Ugh. who I am. Right. <laughs> you know, do, do or doing the thing that made me who I am and, 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 and resisting for that reason yeah. or whatever. But, you know, but at some point you'll, I mean, you can, you, you can maybe volunteer to become better or you can get volunteered for it later. Yeah. Um, you know, by, the extent of the damage that you've done or maybe by an injury that's caused ultimately by, having put off the, the the treatment in in the sense that okay if my you know what am i doing to my movement mechanics by guarding to, um to try and limit the pain of one joint mm-hmm. like am i am i overloading like i would say that okay if it, it tends to cross up the chain, if you will. So if I have a bad left knee, then I'm probably going to put a bunch of stress on my right, right hip. hip. Yeah. So maybe, you know, potentially the, the, the damage that I caused to my hip or the extent of it was due to the fact that the left knee has, you know, you know my first knee surgery, I was 20 years old and, um, you know, fractured the tip off the, the medial condyle off the, you know, <laughs> The femur. The femur, yeah. and uh um and so therefore you know okay i'm gonna train you i couldn't help but increase the load on my right side mm-hmm. and that done chronically enough you know cause maybe the the, the fact that you know, 
to uh, that required a hip replacement. Yeah, you know, eventually, and and so I think those are some things to think about too. Is it's like how are we modifying mechanics or other behavior um, in in order to you know continue doing what we're doing it, it, um, for for whatever maybe it's potentially psychological satisfaction. It could be work related. It could, you know, it could be any number of factors that that force that into play. But um, you know, but those those changes are not without consequence. Yeah. And you continue to kick the can down the road regardless, but. And then maybe, and, and maybe you're, you know, kicking a different can than you think. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, so what's, um, what's it ahead in your, just in terms of the, um, uh, recovery process. I mean, I, like I said, I'm going in tomorrow. I mean, I'm, and, and, um, there's still some deep ache. I'm coming up on, you know, depending on how hard I go do Mm -hmm. something. I have been hiking. I have been riding my bike a fair amount, a little bit of lifting. Um, that ache is generally, that's, I mean, it's not something that keeps me awake at night. It's something I just, I basically notice when I'm not warm. Yeah. Um, and, and warm in the sense, not that it's hot outside, but if I sit for a long time and I get up and start moving around, the initial movement is, yeah, like, ooh, you know, ah, got a little, little hitch, a little something. Yeah. yeah a little tickle. <laughs> it's not <laughs> sort of a tickle, but, um, uh, I'm get I'm guessing, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have avoided up to this point, you know, most anything that, that has excessive impact, mm-hmm. um, which I'll, I think continue to do for a while because I don't really like box jumps anyway, but right. I, but I do like hiking and going downhill. Obviously there's a, a, you know, piece, an impact piece to that, which I will, um, you know, sort of, uh, reduce with, by using poles. Yep. I think, um, for sure for the hiking part, but, but basically there's, there's, you know, with the hit, there's nothing I can't do other than walk through the x-ray at the airport <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't we don't limit people uh we like to have you know the the what should be clear to listeners is that the 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 vast majority of hip implants actually are become part of you by the bone growing onto the implant both the cup and the stem okay and you need that to happen and you need to have you need that to happen unmolested and for us the molestation would be an impact that's great enough to cause a shearing at the contact points um, so that any sort of bone growing is disrupted. Okay. And then it can restart, but it's better to just put that thing in, and it's a tight fit when you hammer it in there. It does, it's not like it's tenuous, but with enough force and— Wait. They hammered. They used a hammer on me. <laughs> they used a mallet, technically. <laughs> okay, yeah, with a very deft touch, um, because it, it's a you know it's a wedge, and you can yeah. you, you're not deft, and you split the femur, and that happens. Uh, not commonly in young males like yourself. And yes, I did call you young. I, I, um, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> but, but, you know, when a guy who's wait, done weight-bearing exercise uh, his whole life and he's relatively young and healthy, then it's hard to split the femur. But you could yeah. if you were a Neanderthal with that mallet. Um, but once that's set, then it's it's going to stay there. Um, and, the, and that setting, pro- I mean, is, it, is that sort of a... a, a 
a 12 week yeah thing? That, that's, that's the general rule I, that's mm-hmm. the general rule it probably is well underway in six weeks and which I think when you have very conservative surgeons protecting weight bearing, they usually cut you loose at six weeks. And I think that's why. Okay. Uh, and that at least uh, whether or not they have any science to base that belief on uh, or not it is regardless. It doesn't matter because it's irrelevant is the word I was looking for, because we know that bones heal in a well. They 80% of them, uh, you know, are, are at six weeks. They're well underway. And so uh, mature bone healing in three months, you know, it continues yeah. in a fracture for a year, uh, remodeling and that sort of thing. But in terms of extrapolating that process to a hip replacement, yeah, I think at three months we're, we're comfortable saying go, run, and jump, do whatever you want. And yes. I haven't seen any problems with that. So this does um, tie in a little bit with uh, um, the topic of the the aging athlete, which we uh, briefly touched on earlier mm-hmm. in the in the in the conversation. Um, and I've you know sort of wanted to ask you like, are there things based on you know your awareness of some of these issues? Uh, are there activities that you have um, modified? Like it, it, it seemed that that uh, for a while there, especially after uh, a couple of years ago, you were doing a lot of uphill running, which sometimes involves also then downhill running. Yeah, um, and that you backed off of that a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, mainly and, due and, to my ankle. Okay. Yeah, I've got an arthritic ankle, and you know something about that. Right. And I and my ankle's un, uh, unstable, although not as much as yours. I can still do that stuff, but I do have some pain. And, okay. and I think, you know, and I have a history of ankle sprains and near dislocations and all that I don't sort know, of those, thing. I those uh, volleyball yeah. braces yeah, that you yeah. turned me on to. Yeah, they're like, awesome. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> certainly for lateral s- support. Yeah. Less helpful for the anterior drawer, but. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, is... and it depends on your, on your particular pathology. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if there's a history of injury to a joint, then there's going to be some some cartilage compromise, which then is going to be directly impacted by the amount of weight-bearing and force across the joint. I don't yeah. think anybody would argue that point. Yeah. Um, so running, you know, high-impact stuff is probably going to be more detrimental than something that doesn't involve either impact or full weight-bearing. So cycling is a great example. Yeah. It's, it's not impacting, uh, impactful, if that's a word, um, and it's not full weight-bearing. Unless you're standing in the pedals, but then right. you're, you know you have your hands. But on even the then, there's some weight on the handle. Yep, there's yep, yep. weight so, on the bars, and you're yep. never the other leg. Ideally, it should be fully unweighted, but still, you're right. not. You're it's a you're 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 pushing against resistance on the way to the bottom of the pedal stroke. It's not like thump. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and Nordic skiing, same idea. It's full weight bearing, but yeah. it's it's not impact. low impact for sure so yeah my recommendations have always been to start you know trimming those things out of your life to whatever degree you can tolerate to preserve these compromised joint surfaces and you know so now i've i've had an acl replacement well it's really well known that acls go on to needing a a knee that has had an acl reconstruction goes on to needing a knee replacement sometime in the future okay yeah there is a there is a joint surface injury that happens at the time of this dramatic shift in the joint when the acl blows oh right right that, okay that 
probably leads to a more rapid degradation of the joint surface wherever that bone bruise is. Yeah. And, uh, and that's well documented. Um, and then if you lose some meniscus, like I did along the way, you know, you, sh- you have a shear across the joint, the meniscus tears, and you trim a little of that out. And so a combination of those things probably cause the joint to fail more rapidly. Not always. Okay. But now, you know, I, I have had a firsthand view of the inside of my joint, and my joint surfaces are good right now. Outstanding. But they did sustain an injury, and you can see that on an MRI. And so am I going to be a big-time runner? No. No, I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing, ski touring and riding a bike and, and hiking more slowly downhill, using poles, like you mentioned, and not racing in a race that requires downhill running. And that, that'll, that, that's yeah. something I'm willing to do. And, and, and not feel... I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, it's, not, it's not going to kill me. Just satisfaction that comes with it or anything. Because I was having this conversation... Um, I flew out uh, whatever, last year, last March. Scott back. He's turned sixty, and uh-huh. uh, so um, I set it up so that I could go. And there was a big party, and uh, his girlfriend at the time was had, um, put, put together for him. And so she and I made it so that I could get out there without him knowing. Oh, awesome! And yeah, it was awesome. But during that visit, you know, we were we were discussing because he's still climbing really hard, and they just they just went in. Um, this, uh, I don't know, like maybe in March or something, I got a sat phone call from him. They were in that Icefall Brook area that, that um, you know, guys, have, people have been going in there. Um, but I think they did three new routes while they were there, a couple wow. of them pretty darn hard and a couple of them big. And there's some big-ass waterfalls back there. It used to be, um, and they flew in um, with, with the helicopter, it's quite inaccessible, et cetera. I mean, so he's still doing things and, and in, and I can't remember what year it was, but he went down and competed in the URA ice comp, mm-hmm. you know, and he was, uh, you know, one of the older guys, uh, one, one of the older guys, <laughs> I want to say that it was probably like four years ago or something. Um, and you know, and finished well, I think he was fifth or so. I mean, it was yeah. it, like, uh, but in this discussion, we were talking about, okay, what are you, how are you sort of, A, it's man, it's risk management. So he's like, no more big mountain stuff because not, you know, until my kids are in college out of the house or whatever. And, and by that point, I probably won't want to do it anymore anyway. So he's, he's focused and he's done a couple of trips out to Yosemite. He's done a lot of hard, hard sort of sport, mixed climbing stuff. Um, and, uh, but he, so he stopped going to the big mountains. He stopped riding a mountain bike. Because he said that the risk is too high. Like when I hit the ground now, it I, I bounce less. <laughs> I guess is is yeah, sort yeah. of what it was. That being said, he did just recently get one, um, a, a one again. But so he's he was you know riding on the road a bit. He was doing some road racing on a bike. He was doing some gravel racing on a bike. Um, so there's low impact. Um, cause he wanted, he really wanted the climbing is what he loved and he loves more than, you know, any other activities. So he doesn't want to do anything that will have a negative impact on that. Stopped running. He said, yeah, trail running a little tiny bit, but I can mm-hmm. Nordic ski, ride a bike. And then I do this other stuff, but I don't, you know, I don't run anymore. I don't really carry a pack anymore. Um, that's heavy. And, um, so there's, there's definitely going to be a shift with the aging athlete about what you, you know, want to do. It's why you see so many, you know, middle-aged men in Lycra or older dudes in Lycra on a bicycle. Yeah. 
because it's something that the, the you know the body can tolerate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Until you fall off, then you know that's another discussion. But yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And you know the pack thing. That's an interesting little subset of problems. Is our backs? Yeah. And I guarantee you, all of us have some pretty interesting things going on in our backs. And I've I've been debilitated with back or disc issues, which resolve most of the time. They do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the human spine seems to be fairly capable of stabilizing itself. Um, but in a, in a subset of those people who are getting arthritic and then kind of locking down and getting stable, they develop a kind of arthritis that encroaches on nerves. And then those are the people that end up with back surgery because they got leg pain. Because right. The nerve is being impinged upon because their arthritis got so prominent. And the, those joints live near these nerves that it, it becomes a, a problem. Um, and so light is right. Light is definitely right. And, and not, I, only, not only like with, when you're carrying something on your back, but, you know, all that flesh you're carrying on your bones. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all goes downstream, right? Your hips, your knees, and your ankles. Yeah. And it's, it's a problem. And, and there's guys, you see long, you know, old guides still carrying big-ass backpacks, but you don't see too many of them like on Denali. Like yeah. the biggest backpacks I've carried were on that mountain as a guide. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a young man's game up there. Yeah. I, I really believe that. Uh, but, it, but then, I mean, I think that, you know, the—, the I, well, I guess if you're, yeah, if you're guiding and you're with clients, you're, you're not getting a, you can't put everything in the sled at a certain point. No. You gotta, you gotta well, carry you know, that. Once you're at 14, you're, you're, and moving yeah. uphill. I, and, and yeah. that's where the clients start having problems. You know, yeah. my experience was he can't move. Give me your cook set. Yeah. Give me your tent. And then yeah. my, and then I can't stand up without somebody picking me up. So I got a hundred pounds on my back and I'm, you know, I'm just not awful i can walk that slow it's not a problem but still that's it's a lot of force it's a it's a huge amount of force yeah, yeah. a lot of force that's your spine you know so that's something yeah you could talk about that for another two hours about protecting your back but we won't go <laughs> but, there. We, but we're not going to go there no, this time absolutely not um but the 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 downstream effects of carrying excessive excess weight you know whether um it's with you 24 hours a day or it's something that you voluntarily shoulder in a in, in a backpack i mean that's that is and as you said m- many of the, the the joint replacement candidates are you know pop people that you see you know they are people who are carrying extra weight and that has resulted in those in those issues and yeah and that comes you know there's that's also a topic that we can't necessarily address but it's something that um you know did come up um in discussion about you know managing the, the managing the the what I think most people um, consider to be inevitable weight gain with age, mm-hmm. um, which I don't consider inevitable, and 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 I you know I know a number of guys <laughs> for whom that has not occurred, right? Um, for, you know, due to having you know been aware of it and 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 participating in sports where power to weight ratio was an issue. I mean, and that's something that get, get causes you to develop good habits, but, um, the, j- j- the, just this, this idea of, um, maintaining as, lo- as, you know, I'm going to put as little impact on my new hip and, you know, my soon to be new ankle or whatever I'm going to yeah. do down there, um, as, as possible in the future. I just don't. I, and, and, and and I think that's something that people just don't consider. Oh, it's a great point. I mean, we, we can talk about activities, and we did. 
what do we avoid? What do we embrace? And but hey, what about your frame? Like, how fat are you, dude? You know, the surgeon I used to work for, his favorite saying was like, hey, every 10 pounds you lose, another joint stops hurting. <laughs> that, that was his canned statement of all his fat patients. And that's, that's beautiful, right? So, and, and it's, wow. it's hyperbole to some degree, but yeah. um, it, the idea is absolutely sound. Lose some damn weight. Um, and you may not need that knee replacement right now. Yeah, you may be able to alleviate some of that pain right away. Like, right away. Right away. Well, without... and it's not instant, of course. But, yeah. But yeah, three months from now, you can make a significant difference. If you are not paying attention to what you're putting in your pie hole and you start, well, things are going to change quite quickly. Yeah. And very in a very satisfying fashion. And then, well, my ankle doesn't hurt anymore. I'm not as inflamed because I stopped eating sugar or whatever, you know, that you, you want to talk about. So that's a great point. Really, I I think that the and and it did come come up because I know that you've you know we were talking the other day about you know extending the fast mm-hmm. and and that being like the, certainly the easiest intervention seems of, to be you know fasting you know intermittent or otherwise um, and and there are days uh, when when that doesn't work obviously because if you've gone out and you know had a seven or eight hour effort or something like that. That yeah, I I might eat two meals the next day yeah, or right. something in order in order to be able to recover from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been on the um, intermittent. Well, it's, time it's restricted not, eating. Time restricted eating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that, that phrase too. Um, for a while and and and, but not consistently every day. Let's say you know because I I think today. Um, based on how I'm feeling right now, I don't think it'll be only one meal today. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it till dinner, mm-hmm. but, um, but I often do. And then I just eat a massive. <laughs> Enjoy mass- yourself. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> eat to satiety. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> and then just, you know, have the meat sweats all night. But, um, <laughs> I, I, but I, but I honestly, I, I, I think that, you know, it, uh, it's a, it's a, that fasting or, you know, time restricted eating is a really easy way to, as we go, you know, manipulate the, the weight in, in a way. Oh yeah. And but it, 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 it goes against, oh, you got to eat six or seven small meals a day. And like, I got to fuel before I run or oh, I got to fuel and then yeah, I got to recover yeah, after oh. or. The industry like, has pushed this down our throats and trainers as well. Yeah. Who are driven sometimes by industry, but, and we just know that that's probably not ideal and not true. And, um, especially for your recreational folks. Like, let's not talk about high-level competitive athletes. Right? Yeah. That's a different subset. We're talking about normal folks, aging folks, who are, need to lose some weight and still go outside and have fun. And I think this is where the money is for them in terms of how they eat. And if you ever, you know, engage in that activity they refer to as, like, camping, um, <laughs> if you— only eat one meal a day while you're out there hiking around. And you don't have to carry much. You don't much. have to carry much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Hmm. Um, you figure uh, out good coverage? Yeah, uh, I, think, um, I think we nailed it. Cool. Yeah, I, li- I like that. Um, and I don't know, maybe more will come up and. Oh, actually, one, one thing that, that I had um, written down, and it, and it goes back to the, okay, yeah, riding a bike is um 
it is low impact until you have impact, which yeah, means yeah. hitting the ground. Um, so one of the things, that, one of the notes I had to myself was, you know, to ask about the risk of fracture being greater with a prosthetic hip versus a versus uh, native bone. Yeah. Um, and and whether that you know I should modify behavior or 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 anything based on that. You can fracture a replaced hip just as well as you can fracture your native hip. Okay. And I, I mean, and I was, I actually have that Google search open on my phone and I forget why I didn't read the, the citation, but I uh, didn't. So I don't have the answer okay. right now. Um, what I will say, and this is compelling, is that if you fracture your replaced hip, it's a big deal. It's a bigger mess, I think, in terms of uh, fixing it than it is to break your native hip. Okay. Uh, so if you need a reason to be more careful, whether the incidence is higher or not, you want to protect yourself from that because um, you what you have right now, you have a cooking home run of a hip replacement. And if you break your femur around that prosthesis, it's not going to be a home run again. Yeah, you next, only, next time you might get a base hit. Yeah, yeah. You only <laughs> you, you only get the... one chance to have your primary hip replacement or knee replacement, and revisions after that are a little bit of an unknown. They can they can go pretty good. Okay, um, I have seen those, but it's it's still a bit of a mess, and it's really disappointing to see when you've done a great job on somebody and then they they fall or do something stupid and or to no fault of their own, and they come in with a big fracture around their replacement. You know. Like, ugh. Okay. Actually, you did say that to me. I think we'll we'll end on this. Is is that? Uh, um, it, I, it was something like, "You only have one shot. Don't fuck it up." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and whether that's and, with you know the the surgeon you choose or where you choose it, the approach you choose, it's really true. And and the, do it and, right and the first time. Yeah, if you get it right the first time, you know it seems. Uh, but from 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 experience, you know, anecdotally, like looking at it out there, um, it seems there's a really good chance for for a home run. Oh, absolutely. Most of the time, it is. So if you're thinking about it, do it. <laughs> Period. Period. All right. <laughs> All right. Hey, Brian. Thank you very much. That's uh, um, awesome. That uh, I hope this. Um, was helpful for some people who might have some questions about it and uh there are no show notes so um let me google that for you <laughs>